The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Mortal Kombat. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. Uh, what are you drinking today? Just a Coors Light today. Also with us is Muggs. What up, Mugga? What's going on? What are you drinking today? Uh, some wine. Uh, also with us is Bling. What's up, Bling? Hey, Kerwin. How's it going? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? I was drinking some root beer, but it's done. <laughs> you want something else? No, I'm good. You want a beer? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, and rounding out the panel is Erica. Erica, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a Mick Ultra and Ojo Rojo Michelada mix. Oh, sounds good. Today we are talking about Mortal Kombat, released August 18th, 1995. It stars Robin Shu, Lyndon Ashby, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, Bridget Wilson, Talisa Soto, and Christopher Lambert. It's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and written by Kevin Droney. It's produced by Threshold Entertainment and distributed by New line cinema so before we get into behind the scenes mugga why don't you hit us with the financials all right so this film financially uh it was a success a little over 122 million worldwide i thought was really interesting though that it did better domestic than international i thought it would have actually been flipped uh, a little over 70 million domestic and 51 international it did debut its uh opening weekend at number one and i believe it stayed number one for three weeks in a row mm -hmm. there is a lot of movies in theaters at this time i can go through some of them are the top 20. I mean, like a lot of notable movies, if you guys want me to. Just starting up um, at 27, I have Braveheart and 26 Batman Forever. Wow. Now, they were in like their 20 weeks and so on plus. Um, do you guys ever watch the movie Kids? Oh, oh, that, yeah, yeah, that was in theaters. Um, that's only 23. Getting down, Erica, I had to give this a shout out. Pocahontas was in theaters. Yes. Um, Casper. Um, then you have Clueless, Apollo Clueless, 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, other wow. stuff like Free Willy 2 and all that. But um, Jason's favorite movie. Waterworld was at number five. But the only movie that it was competing for during its opening weekend was Dangerous Minds. <gasps> so yeah, oh, Dangerous wow, Minds okay. came in at number two and Mortal Kombat was number one. What? Yeah. Oh, wow, um, okay. I did pull up the financials for Street Fighter because I wanted to kind of compare. If you guys could compare, where do you think this ranks? Is it better financially or worse, do you think? Street Fighter is better than Mortal Kombat? Or uh, not not rating-wise or your opinion financially. Oh, no, yeah. You uh, think Mortal I, Kombat is more? Yeah. I would say Mortal I, I Kombat. Mortal See, Kombat. I, I would have thought it would be the difference. No, yeah. Street Fighter didn't even bring in $100 million, and uh, it significantly less, like almost a little over 99 which I thought was weird, but you guys are all saying you thought Mortal Kombat would have done better. I was more Street Fighter guy. I mean, that's why I'm biased to it, but, but I wanted to see how it ranked. I don't know how else you can kind of uh, assess it, but uh, I didn't look up any of the other ones. I haven't even seen Annihilation. Have you guys seen that? No. Uh, yes. In regards to Annihilation, you can skip that film. It's, really? Yeah. Is it it's, bad? It's bad. It starts off right where this movie ends, so you're thinking like, okay, it's picking up right away, and it, it's just all over the place. And even really? I kind of have to watch it. I know, right? <laughs> I kind of um, want to watch it now. And the thing is, I follow the game, so I was like, okay, yeah. I was kind of trying to tie things, in. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It's not even like, if, even if it's loosely based, they're just throwing characters in there, and it right. just, it's it's really bad. Well, you know what sucks, Bling? Uh, since you're on this episode, you got to be on the sequel. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> kind of we have to watch it. We yeah. have to watch it. Yeah. It's so we know uh, we know what Bling thinks about the sequel. But Jason, why don't you tell us what the people thought of the first movie? So on Rotten Tomatoes, forty-seven percent of critics liked it. So an average score of four point five out of ten. 
38 rating, so 18 gave it a fresh rating, 20 gave it a rotten. The audience score, so 58% of the audience gave it a 3.5 or higher out of 5, with an average rating of 3.49 with 311,000 reviews. So I don't know. How do you guys feel about that rating? Critics, 47% liked it. I I think it's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's the early 90s. We've seen worse shit come through. There are no bad parts in this movie. Debatable. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's only 38 critic ratings, too, so there's not a lot. So maybe that kind of doesn't help either. Um, IMDb. At an average score of 5.8 out of 10 with 97,000 votes, which I looked at the demos on this one. There's not a lot of reviews. It's kind of all over the place between 5 and 6. So right there, 5.8 is the average. Um, I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm looking at all of the Rotten reviews. And there are... Yeah, these are going to be good. <laughs> there's a couple that are kind of funny, like... This guy, Scott Weinberg from eFilmCritic.com, he says, like watching a lot of sweaty fist fights while trapped in the world's loudest nightclub. (laughs) Um, This guy, Oz from Hollywood Bitch Slap. Uh, (laughs) I just wanted to say that too. Um, It says, hopeless? Oh yes, it's hopeless, all right. Mondo hopeless. (laughs) And this is the last one I want to read. Um, Eric Snyder, um, he says... If the movie Mortal Kombat were a character in a Mortal Kombat video game, its special maneuver would be to climb on its opponent's shoulders and defecate on his head. Oh. <laughs> These reviews get $20 dollars for me, man. SOMH. This is like why I'm really bummed there's only 38 critic ratings. I, was, I wanted more. There's only 20 rotten ones, and I'm like, damn it, I want more. What was the name of the website? <laughs> Bitch Slap, I think. Let me look at it again. We didn't go on that website. <laughs> So I was trying to read some of the more recent ones, um, but yeah, this was called Hollywood, Hollywood Bitch Slap. Oh, God. Um, and then just lasting real quick, I know we're not doing Annihilation, but again, the scores for this one are 47 and 58. What do you guys think Annihilation got? At least oh, the I, ones that I know you didn't I see I haven't it. seen it, but I've seen people already review it say like it's Ten. horrible. I think it was like three or two percent. Yeah, it's two percent. Two percent. So get excited. And the audience is 25, so get excited for that oh, one. First. Cannot wait. Honestly, it, like with this movie, it's I think it's good because even if you didn't play the video games, it still makes sense. If yeah, if you never followed it, you're gonna be completely lost for the sequel. An annihilation. Yeah. Wasn't there another one after that too? And yeah, there's a web series now, that came after. I this. also read that in 2021 they're coming out with another. Yeah. Is it falling? On, are they just starting all no, over? No, it's a reboot. It's a complete reboot. Okay, cool. God, I hope it's good. <laughs> and that's all I got for the reviews. All right, so uh, before we get into the movie, let's talk a little bit about uh, Mortal Kombat, the game and the franchise. Mortal Kombat was created by Midway Games uh, with the first game in the series being released in 1992. Uh, This game was greenlit and put into development by Midway Games in response to Street Fighter II, which was dominating arcades and the video game industry at the time. Uh, Mortal Kombat started out as a mystical kung fu game that was pitched by series co-creator John Tobias, Rich DiVizio, and Daniel Pacina that would compete with Street Fighter, but it was rejected immediately. Uh, fun fact, um, Rich DiVizio and Daniel Piscina are real-life martial artists who also played ninjas in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the oh. Ooze. Oh, wow. And uh, they were models for a bunch of different characters like uh, Kano, Scorpion, and uh, Johnny Cage. So they were also the, the models for the game. So uh, Mortal Kombat initially got rejected, and instead, uh, Midway Games boss and Mortal Kombat co-creator Ed Boon suggested that they make a more mainstream fighting game in order to make it more profitable. 
Uh, this idea turned the game into a Jean-Claude Van Damme-centered project, with Midway Games trying to get him involved in what was supposed to be an action game based on the movie Universal Soldier. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme passed on the project, so they had to switch gears and go back to the kung fu fighting game idea, which eventually led them to creating Mortal Kombat. According to a 2007 Nintendo Magazine interview, series co-creator Ed Boon says that development of Mortal Kombat started in 1991 with only four people. So Ed Boon was the only programmer, with John Tobias and John Vogel as the only artists for the game, and Dan Forden was the only sound designer. So they built this game with only four people making it. They were asked by Midway Games to have a fighting game ready for release within a year of the project being greenlit. Uh, the four of them ended up producing the first Mortal Kombat game in only 10 months from start to finish. So I don't know you know, what you guys know about the game industry, but it takes a lot longer than 10 months to make a video game. Right. So like the fact that they did that and with only four people from start to finish is pretty crazy. Uh, so at this time, most if not all games were sprite based, you know, like your 8-bit, 16-32-bit right. games, meaning that they took still pixel drawings along a sprite sheet and animated them by playing them in sequence across a series of frames so when you see mario jumping there's a drawing of him walking you know taking right foot left foot you know there's a drawing of each of those poses there's a a single shot of him jumping landing crouching so what you do is you have a sprite sheet that has all those illustrations and you play them in a sequence to provide that animation in game holy shit yeah so that's how that's how a lot of the older 2d games went for Mortal Kombat, the creators decided to pursue a different route and use actual martial artists as models in the gameplay. So they took a few martial artists and filmed them in what Rich DeVizio says was a junk closet, those are his words, uh, with a pretty cheap setup and camera, and took stills of all the actors in costume doing the moves from a video. So they would videotape them doing the moves, and then uh, Ed Boon, the co-creator and the programmer, he would take all those stills and program them into the game. So the sprite mm. sheets for these characters were was actual like photographs or stills from video as opposed to hand-drawn illustrations or pixel art. Johnny Cage was the very first character they captured for the game. There is some speculation that Johnny Cage is based on or is a parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme, but Daniel Piscina, uh, the guy that plays him in game, says that the character was actually modeled after Marvel superhero Iron Fist or wow. Danny Rand. Um, he also says that Jax in Mortal Kombat 2 uh, was based on another Marvel character. Can you guess which one? I have no idea. It's not Black Nick Panther, Fury. right? No. It's uh, Luke Wait. Cage. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot he was a thing. So if you ever read um, Heroes for Hire from Marvel, um, it was uh, Iron Fist and Power Man. Those were the two characters uh, in that comic book. So it was like Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Those are the two guys. Um, so they based Jax on him. Uh, Piscina says that they took a ton of Marvel ideas and used them as inspiration in the game, uh, which is ironic because Warner Brothers owns Mortal Kombat and DC now. So uh -huh. it's kind of funny that uh, Mortal Kombat was based on that. And uh, Mortal Kombat even has their own uh, versus series, uh, Mortal Kombat versus DC, mm -hmm. that they came out with yeah. uh, like maybe half a decade ago. They yeah. did. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about uh, everybody's favorite move and probably the most known move from Mortal Kombat. What do you guys think that is? Scorpions? Scorpions, yeah. yeah so, get over here. Yeah, so we got get over here. Uh, Daniel Piscina says that Scorpion's rope move was uh, Rich DeVizio's idea. Originally, Scorpion was supposed to just throw a lasso over the opponent's head and bring them in closer, uh, but Piscina says uh, that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to do like a Wonder Woman thing. It looked too similar to how uh, Wonder Woman uses her, uh, was it magic lasso? Magic lasso. Mag yeah. Magic lasso, yeah. So they changed the move into a rope dart that spears enemies in the chest, drags them over, and then Scorpion would upper cut them so it's a rope dart right it's yes. not an animal that speaks yeah. and, okay thank you I just or like get a that out freaking of the way. venus flytrap yeah. looking yeah. thing 
All right, so rope dart. <laughs> yes. And I guess uh, those are actual things like... Um, it looks like um, what they use in rock climbing sometimes, where they stab it into the boulder and then it like latches on. Or yeah. like one of those hooks they put in like the drywall. Yeah, it's kind of like... Um, I, when I was reading the interview, uh, they said it's kind of like those things that they use in like medieval times to like rip shields off of people yeah. that are riding horses or like pull people off their horses. So I get, you know, that was based on a real thing, which is pretty cool. I don't know if they said get over here after, but I mean, shit, who I knows? Make, I yell out at people sometimes and I rope them. Get over here. Should be in jail, but, <laughs> but we won't tell on you. Um, Goro, uh, getting into Goro, uh, Goro, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, our favorite, uh, he was captured via stop motion using a 12 inch sculpture created by Rich DeVizio's friend, Kurt Chiarelli. Did they use the same one in the movie too? Nah, we'll get into that though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they captured all of his frames against a blue screen and then inserted them into the game, just like how they did with all the characters, uh, in the videos. Um, Reptile was a secret character inserted by Ed Boon towards the end of development. Um, what he did was color swap Scorpion to green. And I think he changed some of the moves. I can't remember. Um, yeah. He gave a reptile both Scorpion and Sub-Zero's moves. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, both. Yeah, he had like a oh. so wait, Blink, is Reptile in the first Mortal Kombat? Yes. I thought it was the second one. No, he's in the first it's one. The first I can, one. We can get into this right now. Yeah, he's a, he's a secret, secret character. We'll, we'll do it later then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, Jason, like the color swap, and then he gave him uh, Sub-Zero and Scorpion's moves. But his character was so secret uh, that the rest of the people working on the game didn't even know that he had put it into the game until the game was actually out in arcades. It's ridiculous how you play him, but yeah. Do you know how to unlock him? Yeah. Do you want me to get into it? Yeah. 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 All right. Because I'm going to try and unlock him. Tonight. Tonight. So it could take you a few tries, but how you do it is you pick your character, any character. Okay. And you start to play. doesn't matter if you win or lose at this point. But when you get to the warrior shrine level. Okay. From the video I watched, he actually did it. You have to die on that one. Okay. So the way it works is as you keep playing, the characters get harder to beat. Yeah. So when you get to the pit level, you have to have two flawless victory wins. And you cannot block. Oh. And on top of that... It doesn't even work all the time. What you have to do is you have to look at the moon. I'm not even kidding. You have to look at the moon in the background. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you'll see little silhouettes of like uh, different figurines floating past the moon. If you see that, then it means it's capable of working. But if you don't see it, it's not worth trying. So you might as well just die. And try again. And try again. So what you have to do is you have to win two out of the three rounds. So you can lose one round, but you have to get two flawless victories. And you can't block. And you can't block. And then you have to do a fatality, not uppercutting them into the spikes. You have to do their actual fatality. And then what happens? And then after that happens, um, the screen will flash. And then you end up playing um, Reptile at the bottom of the, uh, of the pit. The pit stage, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So That's a lot. my question is, this is before YouTube. This is before, the, how did someone figure this out if it was kept so secret? Like how did they it- They had get, a flawless victory and they and didn't someone's like, holy shit, what is this? And then the word spread. You gotta look at it this way, like, um, I think even today, and you know, of course, back then, like people would take games apart, dig yeah. into the source code. They'd probably find things like uh -huh. in in the cartridge or in the arcade cabinet. Like people would just dig in the code to find shit. So I think one, it probably happened on accident. Somebody figured it out, yeah. and somebody replicated it, and they probably wrote down what happened. And the other way to look at it is somebody probably just did a lot of digging. Like somebody whose hobby it is to dig into game code yeah. probably yeah. found out too. Yeah. So there's codes with this game too. I think the one I remember the most was for Genesis, if you wanted there to be blood, uh, you just pushed A, B, A, C, A, B, B, and then you would have blood and blood with the fatalities and stuff like that. Some the parental controls. <laughs> yeah. So Super Nintendo, you couldn't. 
I think they had that was a big deal. Like yeah. it, like because I had Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. but. I, I was a Street Fighter guy, but everyone's like, well, you can't do the blood on Mortal Kombat. And that's why people switched to Sega. I think it actually helped sales for Sega. I think so. Because that was the only reason why you wanted to have Sega was because Mortal Kombat had the opened blood. up, had the blood, the fatalities yeah. and all that. Yeah, the fatalities were also like more tame, in depth. Tame, they were, they yeah. were tamer on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. They actually altered the ones that they had in the arcade because they were too graphic. Yeah, but so it's just interesting because I, I always remember that code. I don't, Jason wanted blood. Yeah, I wanted to see the blood. Like, because <laughs> uh, I had it on. Super Nintendo at my mom's and my dad had it for me on Sega there so I was like I gotta learn this shit so I I found out the code but I didn't realize that it's a nod to a Genesis album it's called you just sound it out it's called Abacab A-B-A-C-A-B so I guess it's, that's what the oh. uh, Wikipedia said. It's a oh. nod to a Genesis album. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. It is, you're right though, on Nintendo, like there's sweat. And I guess according to like a, a genie, uh, genie code, you can make the sweat marks like turn red as uh. opposed to white. So you have some kind of blood. But hmm. like you were saying, uh, Bling, all the fatalities are different and stuff. But yeah, so this one has some cheat codes in it too. Uh, speaking of fatalities, uh, Ed Boon, uh, he wasn't a fan of other fighting games where like you knock somebody out and the match just kind of ends and they pose and that's it. That's where they came up with the ideas for, uh, you know, adding the finish him dialogue at the end of the match where you could just kind of go all out on somebody who's already lost the match and that's where fatalities came from. So uh, each character actor, the guys that uh, modeled their characters, they came up with their own fatalities during development. So like specifically regarding Johnny Cage, even though they said Johnny Cage wasn't a parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme, his fatality is. So uh, Daniel Piscina, uh, initially wanted to punch somebody so hard that their head flew off. That was his original idea. But John Tobias suggested that because Jean-Claude Van Damme turned them down initially, um, he should drop down and do the splits and then punch the opponent uh, in the nuts to kind of poke fun at him. Right. So they, they kind of got theirs. Moving on to the release of the game, though. When this game came out in 1992, it was an instant hit. Uh, while most games at the time were more family-friendly and safe, Mortal Kombat was on the other end of the spectrum, being so realistic and violent at that time. And uh, also, uh, there were so many shitty games copying Street Fighter out there that this just made Mortal Kombat stand out even more. So not just in terms of style, but the, actually, uh, the actual quality of the game as well. Hmm. According to John Tobias, he went to the arcades in Chicago the same night that the Bulls won their second championship, and he saw how many people were lining up to play Mortal Kombat, and he, that's, that's the day he knew they had a hit. Yeah. Like, hmm. like, instead of celebrating the Bulls, they were at the arcade playing Mortal Kombat. Wow. Like that's how much they love the game. Um, after the popularity of the game in arcades, Midway Games teamed up with Acclaim to port the game to consoles. Uh, once the game started to move into homes, however, they had to fight uphill battles of censorship, kind of like what you guys are saying with Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo specifically had a no gore policy in order for games to be released on their Super Nintendo. And uh, this caused the Sega Genesis version, like you said, Mugga, to outsell the Super Nintendo version uh, five to one. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, in the Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat, like we said before, uh, they replaced the blood with sweat or other liquids. Uh, Kano's fatality no longer involved ripping out somebody's heart. Uh, Sub-Zero's fatality had to be completely redone, like you were saying, Bling. And they removed all the blood from the fatalities, like you said, Jason. You had to use a Game Genie to restore the game on Super Nintendo to its original version, or at least the Sega Genesis version of the game with all the original mechanics and style intact. And later, they would even hide the violence of the game behind cheat codes, like you were saying before. There was not a video game rating board at the time uh, when Mortal Kombat 1 came out, but Mortal Kombat was and has been the target of many critics 
for its use of violence and gore, as well as being sexist and racist, with experts looking into the significant impact violent video games were having on society, specifically children. Uh, There was the 1993 congressional hearing on video games in which Nintendo used the arguments against the violence in Mortal Kombat in order to attack Sega because they saw more sales than they did which is pretty shitty. Um, Because of this, Sega actually had to cancel the release of Mortal Kombat in Spain. So like they they canceled it entirely. Super Um, Nintendo had you had Killer Instinct on there. I feel like Orchid, like she had big boobs and she's, they're out there doing all kinds of, I mean. (laughs) Which is funny because like Killer Instinct is also made by Midway, I think. Jason's showing big boobs with his Big boobs and like. Pixelated boobs, yeah. (laughs) I'm just saying like. Polygon boobs. Yeah, there might not be blood, but it's kind of sexist and it was, I thought it was kind of violent, like Which one? Killer Instinct. Killer oh, Instinct. Yeah, 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 great game too. But they also had like their own versions of fatalities, like their finishers at the yeah. end of the match. Like yeah. it was kind of a. I mean, let's just be real. It's kind of a ripoff of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Let's yeah. be real. Um, the controversy surrounding this game uh, and others like it at the time led to the formation of the ESRB or Entertainment Software Rating Board and other similar entities overseas. Moving on to the actual release, though, with Acclaim as the publisher, they also ramped up the marketing for the console release, buying ads in every comic or magazine and buying commercial airtime leading up to uh, what they would call Mortal Monday. So that was September 13th, 1993, when Mortal Kombat would come out for the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Game Boy, and Sega Game Gear all on the same day, which was like unheard of at the time. Little fun fact, though, uh, the reason why people scream Mortal Kombat uh, actually comes from these commercials and not the song. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. that is that is from the commercials. Dude, the commercials. I remember the commercials. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this commercial where you have all these like kids and teenagers running through the streets and they're trying to find this game wherever the hell it is. I don't know. And they're just running through the streets and you just have people randomly in the commercials screaming Mortal Kombat <laughs> and like even in the background you have some dude going Mortal Kombat and that's all the commercial is just people running through the streets screaming Mortal Kombat so that's why or that's where the Mortal Kombat scream comes from Mortal Kombat was originally only supposed to be released on 200 arcade cabinets but due to the console ports and marketing campaign they ended up shipping and selling uh, 3 million copies of the game with 6 million units being sold by 1994 Um, with all that being said Mortal Kombat went on to become a huge media franchise spawning over 20 games, TV series, movies, web series, live tours, and more. Today, it is one of the most successful fighting game franchises in history, uh, behind only Tekken and Street Fighter. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it is one of the top-grossing media franchises of all time, bringing in over $6 billion in revenue. So I do have a list. Can you guess where Mortal Kombat falls on this list of most profitable franchises of all time? So I'm going to give you the top 10, and then I want you guys to guess where Mortal Kombat falls below that. Okay. All right, so number 10, we got uh, the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Number nine, we got Mario. Number eight, we got Jump Comics or Shonen Jump, so like your Dragon Ball Zs, Naruto, Bleach, all that shit. Uh, Number seven, Disney Princesses. Uh, Number six is uh, Anpanman, which is a manga. Never heard of it. Number five is Star Wars. Number four is Mickey Mouse and Friends. Number three is Winnie the Pooh. Number two is Hello Kitty. And number one is Pokemon. So where do you think below that Mortal Kombat is? The 15th. I was going to say somewhere around the teens. 15. 20. A low 30s. Mortal Kombat is 87. Jesus. What? It is. uh, It's directly behind uh, Pro Evolution Soccer and Tamagotchi. 
Uh, for comparison, Street Fighter is number 44, and uh, Shrek is number 90. Jesus. So. Shrek needs to be <laughs> the top 10. Get away from this goddamn thing. Yeah. But that, always so pissed whenever you mention Shrek. <laughs> I love Shrek. Yeah. So much. So do I. Yeah. I pray to him every night. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the movie, though. All right, so... Uh, Oh yeah, let me let me give credit where credit is due. Yeah, uh, so most of the information I found about the game uh, is from an article on uh, MelMagazine.com, and it's written by Quinn Myers. It's called uh, "An Oral History of Mortal Kombat." So uh, if you have a chance, go ahead and read that article. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's got a lot of in-depth uh, info about the development of the game. Moving on to the movies, though, let's uh, let's talk about getting the Mortal Kombat rights. So the producer on this movie is Larry Kasanoff, who produced Blue Steel, True Lies, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and Beowulf. Uh, Kasanoff uh, visited Midway Games in the summer of 1993. Kasanoff had previously worked with James Cameron on Terminator 2, and that resulted in a very successful merchandising push that made millions, uh, including a T2 arcade game, also made by Midway Games, who you know made the Mortal Kombat series. When Midway showed him Mortal Kombat, um, he instantly pictured turning that game into an entire franchise with the TV series, stage shows, albums, movies, and more. Kazanoff played the game for about a half an hour, uh, and he turned to the Midway Games chief at the time, uh, Neil D. Nicastro, and said, quote, this is Star Wars meets Enter the Dragon. This isn't just an arcade game. This is a whole phenomenon. He told Nicastro that if he gave him the rights to Mortal Kombat, he produced it in every medium in the world. When Nicastro heard this, he said, you're full of crap. It's just a game. Relax. Uh, even though Kasanoff got rejected by his initial visit, he kept at it for three months until Midway finally gave in and let him have the rights to produce the Mortal Kombat movie, but only for a short window of time. So he kind of had to get it done right away. According to Kazanov, this was his first deal at New Line Cinema, acquiring the Mortal Kombat rights, and everybody at New Line was doubting him and the Mortal Kombat movie, even after it was greenlit. Uh, the New Line studio head at the time walked up to him, slammed the script down on the table, and said, quote, I hate this script, I hate this movie, go ahead and make it. So they, they I guess they had money to throw around. It was the 90s, you know, who cares? But also, didn't didn't video game movies like, had like a horrible like stigma to them? Like they just weren't, like they had a Mario Brothers movie that was bad. Yeah. And there was oh. Double Dragon, right? I think, Double yeah. Dragon. Yeah, yeah there's uh, the Street Fighter movie was kind of... I, I, I like the Street Fighter movie, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, I love Street Fighter yeah. too, but yeah, like those movies weren't well received and that, that like kind of cast a shadow right. over their whole production too. Uh, Mortal Kombat creator Ed Boon, uh, he was under the impression that even though the Mortal Kombat movie was being discussed, he felt like it was never going to get made. It was just a lot of talk. But then one day he gets a bunch of phone calls asking about casting and who should be what character. And that's kind of when he started to realize like, oh shit, this is a real thing. Yeah. Um, so about the director, the director of this movie is uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, who did uh, Event Horizon, the Resident Evil series, Alien vs. Predator. Uh, Death Race, and he's also doing the upcoming Monster Hunter movie, uh, which is also based on a video game. Uh, associate producer Lori Pellian said that even though the studio was trying to get like a more established top director, she convinced the studio to go after Paul W.S. Anderson after seeing his film Shopping. Uh, Anderson was about 28 or 29 years old when he got the job to direct Mortal Kombat. Uh, so this is only a second movie. Uh, Anderson is actually a huge fan of Mortal Kombat. He says uh, that early in his film career between meetings, he would go play video games at the local arcade and he spent all his money on Mortal Kombat. So he was like super hyped when he got the job for this project. Uh, Anderson admits that he had zero experience with visual effects. Yeah, the CGI, he like lied about it, right? Yeah, yeah. like he lied his way into the into the job. He said he just bought a ton of books and just read up on that shit. And sounded educated about yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah like he's, <laughs> he said that like he sounded like he knew the most. 
and he knew nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, he never even like been to a studio before that point. And it's pretty funny when you think about it because like almost all his shit since then has been like action or sci-fi, yeah. like CGI heavy. Um, Apellian says that Anderson would come in with really cool ideas at the time, but because of the small budget they got, uh, they had to scale a lot of that shit back. Uh, moving on to the script and the story. Uh, the script was written by Kevin Droney, who wrote Wing Commander and the Highlander TV show. Anderson says that the script was being worked on while they were in pre-production, so the actors provided their own ideas on it and did improvise a lot during the shoots. Ed Boone and John Tobias felt that the script was too funny, and they didn't like that the more serious characters, like Raiden, were joking around, so they would constantly send back notes for them to get that shit right. Uh, Lyndon Ashby, who plays Johnny Cage, was involved in the rewrites too, uh, and he said that Kevin Droney wasn't happy with uh, all the actor's input. Uh, Ashby says that he saw him at a Christmas party, and Droney introduced him to his date and said, quote, this is the guy I told you about. This is the asshole that ruined my script. Mm. Like when he saw him at a Christmas party. Yeah. Um, How drunk was he? I don't know. He got paid though. They had to make this movie PG-13, you know, despite the source material. No, I was going to say, like, do you guys agree with that? Like, I wish... Now they would have done the rated R. I mean, that's what the video game is, you know. Yeah. But yeah, they had to go because they thought R. I think a lot of teenagers were going to go watch this movie, so they had to scale it down to PG thirteen. But I don't know. I just I think if you had a rated R movie, I think it would have yeah done what it was meant to be. They're trying to make money though. Yeah, they yeah, are. It, it yeah. was a different time too. It's it, it yeah. was hard to make these gory type movies. Yeah. Whereas now it would like the Deadpool's of the world, the Logan films. You know, you can actually take that. material that's designed for video games and kids and actually yeah. put an R rating on. That's it. still relative. New though, all yeah, that, it's so, that's yeah. just yeah, this only within the last few years, so yeah. And I think, um, you know, like you said, Mo's they got to consider their target demographic, yeah. like no matter how how gritty or how violent it is, like I, you know, it all comes down to the bottom line, of course. Um, could you imagine an Eli Roth directed Mortal Kombat? I don't want him <laughs> touching anything I love <laughs> <laughs> at all. Well, I just mean like the gore factor of it all, don't want it, don't want yeah. it, don't want that. shit. Go watch Green Inferno. Uh, uh, yeah, it's awful. No, oh, I haven't seen yeah. that. Yeah, oof. <laughs> don't. Let's review it. It made my stomach hurt. Yeah, you could be on that review, Erica. Oh hell, no, I'm not watching that movie again. Damn it! All right, uh, uh, like we said, uh, they had to they had to make this movie PG-13. They had to talk to the ratings boards to find out, um, you know, what their curse word limit could be and the amount of blood that was allowed on screen. Uh, Lori Appellian says that during this process, they learned that if you kill a human being on screen, it's an automatic R rating. So they made sure that every death you see on screen is somebody who isn't human. And if somebody's being killed and they are a human, it happens off screen or in a way that's not like, you know, super violent. Like when they take uh, Arlene's soul, they take the souls instead of killing them. So go back to the blood thing. Do you see any blood other than at the very end on Shang Tsung's lip? That's the only blood no. you see, yeah. right? No, that's the only not. one. Isn't that sad? Yeah. <laughs> Mortal Kombat movie, that's all you get for blood? <laughs> Like when he hit Sonya, like definitely there should have been blood there. Yeah, yeah like no blood splat on the on the sand on the beach or yeah. anything. Yeah. It's, it's funny too because like we were just talking about this, you know, five seconds ago. But like even when you look at like the Marvel movies, like people got like contusions and like yeah. they need stitches and like Robert Downey Jr.'s face is like half red, yeah. looking like Tommy Lee Jones and Batman Forever. Oh, <laughs> like. Like I said, I think it was a different time because I know, I feel like now we look at things and it seems like even the ratings have gotten a little more lax yeah. as far as what you can get away with. Even with violence, sexual innuendo, it's, it's now yeah. permissible in PG-13, even PG films now. Yeah. Like, I think comedy has gotten smarter. Maybe comedy and maybe the sophistication factor allows you to get away with that stuff. Yeah. I think, I think when you do it the right way and it's not, I guess, gratuitous, that's where you can kind of accept it, I guess. 
Uh, let's move on to the cast. So we got Robin Shu as Liu Kang. Uh, Robin Shu is also a stuntman and martial artist in addition to being an actor. Funny enough, he's been in two other movies based on fighting games outside of Mortal Kombat. So he was in Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, and Dead or Alive. So how he got the gig was um, a friend from an agency told him about Mortal Kombat and told him he should audition. He thought Mortal Kombat was the dumbest name he'd ever heard of and thought a movie based on a video game was stupid, but uh, his friend eventually convinced him to audition. Um, He ended up having to read for the part seven times and New Line was already really picky about who they were gonna choose because they'd be investing a ton of money into an Asian lead actor, which is like unheard of at the time. Unless uh-huh. unless you're like Bruce Lee, they don't want to spend any money on you at this time in the early 90s. Obviously, he passed away, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, he initially turned down the role, assuming that he'd just be cast as another Asian villain, but he ended up getting it. Uh, then you got Lyndon Ashby as Johnny Cage. Brand- I hated. You hated him? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, Brandon Lee was originally considered for this part, uh, but after he died on the set of The Crow, uh, the filmmakers had to look for other actors. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was approached again and uh, offered a part, you know. But to- he had already committed to Street Fighter, right? Yeah, so he went on to do Street Fighter. And uh, other actors that were looked at for this role were uh, Gary Daniels, Johnny Depp, and Tom Cruise. So Tom Cruise could have been Johnny Cage. Wow. Would you have liked that mugga? You would have loved that. I thought that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. There's a funny Tom Cruise, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but. I, I don't what? think they could afford Tom Cruise at that point, really. Like, what? I mean, this. I, I don't think they could afford I mean, I think this him, film's yeah. prides itself in, because as you say, it had a low budget. This is all after Days of yeah, Thunder, yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's I, an A-list I, at I that point. I think just looking at the, cla- the, the cast, you had to use a lot of no names because otherwise I think this, but you wouldn't have had enough money to make this film because it's, when you look at the, the cast in this film, it's like you said, it's, it's a bunch of people we don't recognize. It's super low budget, a lot of unknown people or people with like uh, kind of short resumes. Yeah. Yeah, like the only person they could really get was like Christopher Lambert, like who who had done anything at that point. Yeah. So uh, Lyndon Ashby, um, he's a real life martial artist who has studied karate, taekwondo, and kung fu since he was 21 years old. So by the time this movie started shooting, he had been studying martial arts for about 13 years. Oh. Um, moving on to Sonya Blade, we got uh, Bridget Wilson, now Bridget Wilson Sampras. She's married to Pete Sampras. Yes. Is she really? Yep. Yeah. Is? Oh, I didn't yep. know that. Yeah. Uh, she was Sonya Blade. Cameron Diaz was initially cast as Sonya Blade first. Uh, the mask had wrapped at the time, so New Line told filmmakers to look at footage from that film to see if Diaz was a good fit, and they loved her as soon as they saw kind of the dailies from that shoot. Uh, they cast her immediately, and they started training her for the movie, but she got let go from the project and had to have her role recast after she broke her wrist. This uh, is training for it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, they would have kept her on, but there wasn't enough time in the schedule to delay to production. Wait, yeah. yeah, so like she had to Well, like pass. you said earlier, they had to have a, get this done a certain amount of time, right? Yeah, because yeah, uh, they had like a small window from Midway, I think, yeah. Other people considered for the role of Sonya Blade were uh, Christina Applegate, Sharon Stone, and uh, Dina Meyer. Bridget Wilson, uh, the actress who got cast as Sonya Blade, uh, she actually auditioned for the role before Cameron Diaz. So after Diaz left, uh, they called her back uh, after she was done rapping on Billy Madison. So I guess she got a call the day Billy Madison rapped, and she had to go film Mortal Kombat like the next day, which is crazy, yeah. Okay. On Sonya Blade and Katana, uh, Laurie Appellian says that, quote, they didn't want women to be cardboard characters and they needed to have a strength and an independence and an intellect that went well beyond their beauty and being sexy. Is that why she spoke in riddles and shit? Like, <laughs> right? she's trying to be... I was lost. I don't know. It's called water. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just say water. The element of life. <laughs> the element that gives life. 
Uh, then you got uh, Shang Tsung, who's played by uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. He was the filmmaker's first and only choice for this role. He came in and auditioned in costume while standing on a chair. Uh, Shang Tsung is an older character in the game, but they decided to make the character younger to avoid doing the crazy amounts of makeup, probably for budgetary reasons. Uh, he would play Shang Tsung again in Mortal Kombat Legacy, the web series, and he played Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat 11. So they used him for the character oh. model for the video game, oh, wow. which is pretty sick. That's why he looks like the character in the video game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Mortal Kombat 11. Yeah. Connecting those dots now, it's crazy. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, funny thing too, um, so they had a Mortal Kombat live tour in the mid '90s that kind of like toured the country, and they kind of acted out the movie, I guess. Um, huh? Yeah, that was that was a thing when I was a kid. I remember that. Um, he was the fight coordinator for that, so that was that was pretty sick. Wow. Then you got uh, Talisa Soto's Katana. She's so hot. Well, other movie. musician. We we talked about that. Yeah. yeah so like you said, Mugs, uh, she was in License to Kill back in 1989, uh, James Bond, and uh, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa was also in that movie. So they were both in that oh, movie wow. together. Yeah. Um, then you got Christopher Lambert as Raiden. Uh, oh Sean, God. Yeah. Sean Connery and Danny Glover were looked at for this role at one point. For Raiden? I heard yes. Sean Connery was like, I'm going to play golf or something. Like that. That's what he said. <laughs> like He's like, I don't want to do this. Very surprising. Which is, cool, which is w- weird because they both were on Highlander together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they were. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about Danny Glover, though, for Raiden. No. Yeah. What, what I hate, I'm though, and I'll get into my trash about it, does he have one fight scene? No. No. That does nothing. He does nothing. And Raiden's powerful. like one of the coolest yeah. characters in Mortal Kombat. And he doesn't have his staple hat. Does he? Does <laughs> Where's he, his does, rice hat? <laughs> does, he, does he fight in Annihilation? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's like, where is Now I gotta his? watch it. Yeah. It's a different actor, though. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, a lot of people got recast. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like Raiden's voice though. Do you guys like his no. voice? I don't like Raiden at all. I don't mind it. I don't. Really? Go back. I don't know. I know we just watched it, but he's yeah. just like, hey, okay, so we're gonna do this, and then you're gonna go here. Yeah, he sounded and, like a creep. Yeah, I just I couldn't get over it. And it's just he keeps speaking like that, and then like towards the end of the movie, he kind of breaks and he just talks normally. But almost the entire movie is just this weird, creepy fucking voice. Yeah. It, like, it was just weird get in because my van, little girl. I mean, yeah, essentially, I mean, he didn't say that, but something yeah. Like if, that. If, you, if you follow the cartoon, it's I mean, it's the, the character's supposed to be like you know Asian character, and it's super heavy whitewashed. In this yeah, movie. and that's why it for me the fall of the game was very off putting. I could see what where you could say, yeah, this this is not even a good like rendition for right. for the movie. Yeah, I Join agree. my tournament. <laughs> God. Um, so, uh, how he got the part, Christopher Lambert says that he went to lunch with Paul W.S. Anderson and Larry Kazanoff, and then they offered him the part. I don't even think he knew he was going to get this part. Like, mm-hmm. he just kind of went to lunch with them and they offered it to him. Uh, he agreed to be in the movie after watching uh, Anderson's movie Shopping, uh, which came out before Mortal Kombat. He also agreed to star in it because Raiden has mystical powers, so it was the only action movie he didn't really need to train for. Uh, so it was like a win-win. Um, Paul W.S. Anderson says that because this was his first Hollywood movie, um, he was happy to have Christopher Lambert on set to kind of back him up. You know, when the highest paid, high profile guy on set is like really chill and unbothered by everything, the rest of the cast and crew kind of follow suit. So it made his process a lot easier as like a new guy. They made a specific deal with Lambert so that he would only have to work four or five weeks for a fixed amount of payment because he was so expensive at the time. 
Uh, originally, Anderson planned on doing close-ups of Lambert in L.A. and, you know, splice that footage with shots of a double that they would use in Thailand. Uh, when he found out, uh, Lambert was basically kind of like, fuck that, I'm going to Thailand with you. Like, he wanted yeah. to be there. Even though his contract didn't require him to travel with the rest of the cast and crew to Thailand, he still went anyway. He paid for it himself. He didn't even ask for any more money. And uh, Anderson says that he even paid for the whole rap party himself, which is pretty cool. Wow. I think it's cool, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, and he also voiced Raiden in the French dub of this movie. Oh. So he oh, does. I thought you said the video game. I was like, there's no freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine though, yeah. Um, so moving on to uh, Gregory McKinney as Jax. Uh, so Steve James was supposed to play Jax, but uh, he passed away uh, after pancreatic cancer about oh. a year before production started. Gregory McKinney would also unfortunately pass away uh, in 1998. So a couple years after this movie came out. Uh, Michael J. White turned down the role for the first movie and went on to do Spawn instead. Uh, when Mortal Kombat Annihilation came out, he turned it down again and he went on to go play Mike Tyson in, I think it was an HBO film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, ironically though, he'd end up playing Jax in the Mortal Kombat Legacy web series. So he still got the part later on. Yeah. Then you got Kenneth Edwards as Art Lean. Art Lean is not a character in the game. That's all I got on him. Yeah. You got, uh, <laughs> like, why is he even in the movie? To die. Yeah. yeah, but you actually don't see him dying, right? Yeah. Well, Shang Tsung takes a soul. Yeah, he gets yeah. a soul taken. Yeah, that's yeah. that's, that's why they're allowed to have him. That was it. Yeah. yeah, that was the whole entire. Just for him to die, they couldn't kill anybody else. Okay. I, I read some weird fact though that in the original script they were supposed to have like a, a funeral for him, right? Yeah. So like Sonya, uh, Liu Kang, and Johnny Cage were supposed to bury him. Yeah. Near the a statue of Kung Lao, and that was like going to be the only appearance of Kung Lao in any of the movies. It was just a statue of him. I don't know why someone wrote that down as a fact, but that was in the original script. Mm. But I guess they couldn't show... I don't know why they pulled it, but I guess a lot of fans were upset because they were hoping to see Kung Lao in one of these movies and that statue. Who's who's Kung Kung Lao? So Kung Lao is the guy that originally beat... Shao Kahn, right? He was one of the tournament winners for, I think, for one of the Mortal Kombat's, like, because, you know, Mortal Kombat is supposed to be like an annual, right. it's an annual tournament, and he actually, I think, ended up being killed or lost to, uh, losing to, uh, Shang. Uh, to uh, Goro. Oh, okay. Yeah, he yeah. did? Yeah. And also said it's Liu Kang's best friend, too, yeah. was Kung Lao. Yeah, they're, yeah. All, they're, they're both part of the same clan, so Liu oh. Kang and, and Kung Aren't Lao. Aren't they all Shaolin monks? Well, I read that uh, Kung Lao is the ancestor of Liu Kang and, um, Who's well, the guy with the hat? That's Kung, that's Kung Lao. No, no. Then who's the ancestor? No, no. Kung Lao is named after the older Kung Lao. Yeah, so there's so two. Yeah, there's two oh, Kung Lao. Two Kung Lao's. Yeah, depending on, on, on the storyline that you take, because if you take like the original Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Two versus like the newer sons, they they've changed the, the the origin stories a little bit. I'm still trying so. to figure out the origin story and the rivalry between Sub Zero and Scorpion. <laughs> that that is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. 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 For anybody listening, just just go on Wikipedia. Yeah. You know, you'll find that out. I guess yeah, like you said, Jay, like uh, Kung Lao was like a big deal because they talked so much about him in the game so they were kind of disappointed that you didn't see him yeah I guess there's two one's the old guy one's the dude with the hat so yeah Yeah. Yeah. isn't the old guy the dude with the hat no he didn't the old guy I don't think the old guy had the hat oh no yeah you're right you're right Uh, so we got Chris Casamassa Scorpion Uh, he's a real life martial artist and stuntman who's been uh, practicing martial arts since he was four he was actually Lyndon Ashby's martial arts teacher at one point which is pretty cool Uh, then we got Frank Welker as the voice of uh, Shao Kahn and Reptile Uh, he's done a ton of voices Um, he's done Scooby-Doo and Fred Uh, he was Garfield he was Megatron Soundwave Shockwave and a bunch of other robots from the Transformers movies and the TV series you know if you grew up in the 90s or 2000s 
He's had a role in like every cartoon you could think of. Uh, he was also in Shrek and Shrek Forever After. <laughs> was he? As what? It wasn't anything major. It was probably like a like a side character. He was the gingerbread man. <laughs> he might have had like one or two lines in each movie, but he was in I two knew Shrek. He was movies. in a lot of films. He, he was, was a great voice. One of the, I didn't think it was Shrek though. He, he was a Shrek. Three blind mice. <laughs> but he but he was in Shrek as some minor character. I didn't I didn't write it down, but he's in. He two was Shrek the dragon. <laughs> he was the dragon. He did provide vocals for the dragon. Yeah, because yeah. the dragon didn't say anything. Yeah, he it just literally provided just like, like sounds and shit. Yeah. Um, so moving on to our last bit of the cast. <laughs> if we all could just see Mugga's face if this was a live podcast. We don't want to piss Mugga off just reference something to Shrek. Shrek facts. <laughs> yeah, Shrek facts. Uh, so moving on, um, Steven Spielberg was supposed to have a cameo in this movie. As a director, correct? Yeah, so when Johnny Cage is done with his shoot during his action movie, um, the director that comes down is supposed to be Steven Spielberg. Uh, apparently, Steven Spielberg is a huge fan of the Mortal Kombat game at the time, and he wanted to be in this movie, but scheduling prevented him from you know doing the cameo. He might have been making Jurassic some movie. Park. Well, Jurassic Park already came out at uh, this Jurassic time. Jurassic Park was in like 90. Yeah. 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 He was probably doing Lost World at this time then. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So instead of Spielberg, they got an actor named Sandy Helberg to who, play the who director. Who like, looks kind of like Spielberg. Yeah. I thought they it were was at first it. glance, honestly. Yeah. They did him up to look just like him. If you want to know where you've seen this guy before, Sandy Helberg, um, he was Dr. Schlotzkin in uh, Spaceballs. Dr. Schlotzkin? Remember when they were trying to put what? the nose back on the princess? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he's uh, he's that character in Spaceballs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, moving on to production, uh, they started off shooting at Santa Monica Airport, and I think, Mugga, you had something you wanted to say about Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, so I think by the airport, Tom Cruise has his own personal hangar. You, you provided the information that he was up for a role. I didn't know about that, but I thought he saw what was going on down there and actually went down to see like or say hi, and they, like this A-list actor, they denied him. They said no, and they actually kicked him out and said, you can't come on set. <laughs> like, I don't know why you would do that to Tom fucking Cruise, but yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what I read, you know. They, but, didn't, they did not want him in this movie. That's he's a Scientologist, that's why. Damn. Um, but <laughs> the funny thing is, uh, so the director says that the guy that actually kicked Tom Cruise off set was a medic. He wasn't even like security. Oh, shit. That's oh. awesome. You know, just some locations. Uh, they shot in Fontana, California. And now that's the Speedway, right? Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. So uh, that was all of the. Part? It's all the Outworld parts, yeah. or they. Oh. Right. Am I saying that right? Yeah, the Outworld. Yeah, Outworld, it's all those yeah. parts that you see. Yeah. It was abandoned. I don't know. The Kaiser. It was the Kaiser Steel Mill. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the Kaiser Steel Mill. Yeah. Which has been done in other movies as well. Yeah. So. I th- I'm pretty sure Mission Impossible Three, three was there, right? Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I think parts of Terminator 2 was too. That's kind of cool. Yeah, there's a lot of movies shot in Fontana. Uh, Anybody listening, you know, that we live 10 minutes away. (laughs) Yeah, people that don't know us personally, like we live real close to Fontana. Uh, After they wrapped in California, the production moved to Thailand. Uh, Anderson said he wanted to go to Thailand to get real landscapes on film. He says it was great because he took a speedboat to work every day and that kind of got him hyped for the day. But, I mean, the reality was, is like, there was no way you could get to set other than boat. So, I mean, he didn't really have a choice in that matter. Um, when they first got there, the production designer, Jonathan Carlson, said that the guys they hired locally would spend so much time arguing and taking cigarette breaks that they never got any sets built. Oh, so sure. they had to hire uh, somebody else in Thailand who owned a bunch of heavy equipment and kind of hired him to manage all these guys. And once they got that dude involved, 
you know, he kind of got these guys to step in and kind of got them all in line to move like an efficient machine. He's kind of like a no bullshit kind of person. Uh, Lyndon Ashby says that in Thailand, the heat was so bad and everybody was drinking so much that the set literally smelled like a distillery. Um, some people would just pass out from heat exhaustion and they'd have to stop in the middle of shooting sometimes. Uh, Bridget Wilson says that she was only about 20 or 21 at the time of this movie and uh, she didn't party with the rest of the cast and crew she just kind of toured the country with her mom like her mom came with her yeah. and they kind of did their own thing but she said everybody else was like partying all the time so be- going shit. back to that Jason we had done a podcast on Street Fighter I don't think we ever aired that one that was one of our practice ones but Jason said at the time remember like the whole cast of Street Fighter that was also in oh, Thailand yeah. was just partying nonstop. Partying balls off I think too. we should go take a trip to Thailand my, my theory but I'm just saying yeah, Thailand's a lot <laughs> Fun. But it's it's like the exact same thing. Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. The yeah. cast is just out just all the time. Just Side drinking. note: My friend took a trip to Thailand. Him and his wife for a grand. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, okay. Also, no, because she is a flight attendant, so they got their plane tickets for free. Yeah. Now you have to disclose that. Okay, but the whole entire trip itself, like food, um, where they were staying, hotels were like a grand in total. And they were, they were there for like eight days. Wow, that's yeah. really cheap. Shit. That's really cheap. Yeah. Five star hotel for forty bucks a night. It's probably why they filmed in Thailand, based on the budget. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should go to Thailand. We should. We we will. We will go. <laughs> to so Thailand. going back to the place though, the beach, right, where some of the fights occur and all that stuff. Did you read about the availability of bathrooms on there? Did you guys see that? No. So it was like a remote island that they had to get to. Now it's gorgeous looking, but there's just no civilization, no anything like that. So when they had to go to the bathroom, they would go back to the mainland and it would delay like the shoots and cause a lot of problems. So they actually built like their own like bathroom porta potty house out there to like refrain from doing that. I was going to say, <laughs> it's like, like a they big deal. Just build something? They, they, they eventually had to, yeah. I'm actually surprised they didn't do that from the get go. I, I don't yeah. know why you don't like isn't that a movie set shouldn't you have some sort of you know well they like, got they got that small budget so I, I don't know dig a hole in the ground I think that's what they did just put some <laughs> stuff up you know I mean imagine having to get in a canoe and like <laughs> go back to the main I the bathroom a let's go yeah. <laughs> someone's like oh shit I had to go too get the canoe back <laughs> go oh shit literally what if you had yeah. like explosive diarrhea and you had to get to a bathroom there's water. You make it halfway. That's true. You just yeah. go into the water and you come back out and you're okay. Squat over the edge of the boat. I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about Goro. Um, so all of Goro's scenes were shot in Los Angeles. Uh, Goro was completely animatronic, uh, created by uh, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis. Between them, other movies they've worked on are Aliens, Alien 3, Terminator, Jumanji, Demolition Man, and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Ooh. Classic. Ooh. The worst Jurassic Park movie ever. Uh, this animatronic cost about one million to build See, and operate. I read that too. How? How? If they're on a low budget, how do you spend one million on this? You got to make it happen, man. I mean, I know you have to make it happen, but like, do you think that us creative minds could have found a better way than a million dollars? But I think you got to look at it this way. You got to look at having to build and program something yeah. to be that large. Well, I also read that it took sixteen people at a time yeah. to maneuver his things. Yeah. So you got to you got to pay Jesus. those people sixteen people at a time. A they probably people. have to invent hardware. You know, yeah. to make it happen. And not only that, like he has four arms, which is like ridiculous. I don't think anybody's done that with something. Yeah. So like, and he has to interact with the actors and fight. Mm. So I, I hated the way he looked. Why? I don't know. We're it, all beautiful yeah. on the inside. He just looked like someone took an old Makeup person, or something, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then stacked that person and prayed on top of that person and prayed for the best. Yeah. I mean, I... I his face is pretty creepy. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. It's, I, he looked like, Eric said that he looked like a buff, four-armed 
Gollum from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's what he was. I, I mean, the way you want to look at it, I mean, at the time, like, and now, you know, if this movie was made now, you would know, hey. Just CGI. It was yeah. CGI, but I think at that time, everything had to be made. For the time, right. it was good. Yeah. But yeah. I, but you got to look at it this way, too. Like, Jurassic Park came out two years before this. That's true. So, yeah. so I think all this comes down to kind of budgetary restrictions, because yeah. I think even Terminator 2 came out before this movie, yeah. right? Yeah. So like when you look at the technology that was involved in those films, obviously it was ILM, but I guess they probably couldn't afford them. And I know right. we were looking up- Clearly they couldn't look at Goro. Yeah, we were looking up like what special effects house or houses might have worked on this film. I couldn't find anything. Could you guys find anything? I couldn't find anything. I just remember seeing some lady, yeah. and I think she had actually worked on Terminator 2 yeah. and some other things. Yeah. So. The kindergarten class from down the street made Goro with paper mache. <laughs> I believe it. Okay, let's get back to Goro, though, because I heard he broke down a lot, right? Like, there was a bunch of problems. So the cast actually called him the diva on set because they're like, this guy just has to have everything right for him to act. But, I mean, the irony, obviously, it's not. But I I thought that was kind of funny. But they said this thing broke down all the time. Like, they couldn't do things. I mean, you have 16 people that have to, like, operate this thing. So things are bound to go wrong. But numerous times, this thing would not be functional when they needed it to be. And they didn't even take it to Thailand because they were so afraid it was going to break. Too, right? Because they're afraid he's a diva. He wouldn't even leave LA. <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy too because like even the production designer he said that like he had to alter all of his sets specifically because of Goro. So it's just like, oh, I built this cool koi pond in the yeah. middle of this palace, and they're like, nah, bro, you got to get rid of that. We don't want Goro to fall in on accident. Like, so like all these- Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Watch the tape, Jim let him fall in. <laughs> no, but like he would get pissed because like he's designing and like building out all these sets and then all the work he's put into like doing the architecture, the planning, all that stuff has to go in the trash because of this stupid forearm <laughs> thing. Um, how tall was he? I think he was over seven feet. Yeah, just wondering. No, I'm just wondering because he was pretty tall. That's a huge animatronic. Like yeah. that's yeah. huge. And like you said, mugs. Like they had like 16 people controlling them. Like yeah. one person did the eyes. One person did the mouth. Like it. Like the crazy I would amount think of one detail. for every arm. I'm yeah. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh, the stunts and the action. So some of these fight scenes took a couple weeks to shoot. And they brought in martial artists and specifically designed the fight sequences around their martial arts specialties. So if somebody was good with a spin kick, they specifically choreographed the fight so that you could showcase that, you know, et cetera. They really wanted to show off everybody's kind of skills. Uh, Paul Anderson had zero experience shooting fight scenes. So what he would do is shoot everything in one take and he would shoot it wide. But if he noticed any mistakes, he would have all the actors go back to one and do it over. And it got to the point where everybody was getting exhausted because he kept doing multiple takes. So Robin Shu had to walk over to him and say, hey man, you know, you can cut this footage. Like we don't have to do this whole fight scene every single time. You can zoom in, you can have a B camera. So Robin Shu kind of had to explain to him how to shoot fight scenes. I think that's very noticeable if you watch the Sub-Zero Liu Kang fight. Because they shoot them up on that like ledge and it goes back and forth. And then you see him cutting back and forth on other things. But yeah, I think that's where I really noticed it. did hear that on the documentary that I watched, but I kind of get him credit because I feel like if you look at these fight scenes, they're pretty well done. I mean, I think they are. I mean, what do you guys? I, 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 I no, I will agree with you. I think they're pretty well done. 
I mean, there. I, I don't know. I, I've seen some. Like I've watched Rocky Four many times. I can yeah. see all the mistakes in that fight. Yeah. There's not a lot of mistakes in a lot of these fights, other than other things that we'll get into. But especially um, Liu Kang and um, the old guy, the Shang Sun. Shang Sun. Thank you. Yeah, that fight was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Paul W S Anderson also learned a lot from his fight choreographer Pat E Johnson. Uh, movies he worked on uh, were Enter the Dragon, Karate Kid Two and Three, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman and Robin, Wild Wild West. And uh, Jason's favorite, Green Street Hooligans. Yes! Yeah. Hootie hoo! Yeah, so uh, he worked on those movies as a fight coordinator and choreographer. Um, let's get into these reshoots, though. Right after they finished filming, they screened the movie for test audiences, and everybody loved it, except that they all felt that there wasn't enough action in the movie. So uh, the producer, Kazanoff, says that they had to go back, get some extra money, and shoot more fight sequences. So the sequences they added after the fact uh, were Scorpion versus Johnny Cage and Liu Kang versus Reptile. Uh, so Reptile was taken out of the script initially prior to the reshoots, and then they added him back in for this fight scene. Uh, Robin Shu and uh, Paul W.S. Anderson didn't know what Reptile would look like until post-production was finished. So they did the whole fight sequence, you know, when he's like a lizard or whatever. Right, yeah. They had so much difficulty with that because they didn't know like what the CGI character was going to look like at that point. Oh, wow. which is which made it way more difficult. You remember that from the documentary? Yeah, like it shows it, him just, just like holding. They're air. like, what does it look like? We don't know. It's just it's going to fight back. You know, yeah. act scared. Yeah, that's what they said. No, that's really what he said. He just act scared. <laughs> <laughs> like your eyes. You're like you're like you can't believe what you're seeing. <laughs> it's a normal ass person. And go, <laughs> go. <laughs> it's just like a baby or some shit like that. Um, and then uh, the Scorpion Johnny Cage fight uh, was supposed to end in the forest, but they added the part where Johnny and Scorpion go into the portal into that. Doesn't it just seem like it doesn't fit the movie? I mean, I, I get it, but now I understand why they put that in there. I'm like, what? Where the hell are you going? You know, and I don't know. It's it's great though. Like, I, I, I like it. it. Yeah. I'm just saying. At one point, you're like, wait, why did you? Okay, yeah. And that's supposed to be quote unquote Scorpion's lair, right? Yeah, because yeah. um, the fight was supposed to end in the forest. So when Johnny Cage jumps up and does kind of that flying kick yeah. towards Scorpion, he's supposed to hit Scorpion and defeat him right there. So what they did was they added a portal that Johnny Cage would uh, fly into, and then once they get to kind of Scorpion's alternate dimension or his realm or whatever, that's where the second half of the fight took place. So that whole second half of the fight was added after the fact. The original release date for this movie was supposed to be May 1995, but because of the reshoots, uh, they had to push this movie back to August 1995. Um, as far as the reshoots go, uh, Robin Shu worked in a lot of Hong Kong action movies, so the fight choreographer kind of let him have a lot of input as far as how these scenes would work out, kind of introducing more of the Hong Kong sensibility to a lot of the fights. So like the wire work, uh, the the actual actors doing the martial arts and stuff like that. And for the reshoots, uh, Robin Shu was the head choreographer. Yeah, they gave him the like the opportunity, like, all right, go ahead and go. And that's why I think you kind of think they're the best, right? I yeah. mean, the reptile one and this, I don't know. I, I like them a lot. Yeah, like those, those fights were completely choreographed by him when like you're saying mugs like i think those are probably the two yeah. best fights they look the best shot yeah anderson says that robin shu would always rate the fight sequences with a one two or three which would basically be the number of ribs that he bruised during a fight <laughs> yeah according he broke two in the reptile one right yeah according yeah. to him the reptile fight was a three rib fight uh and like you said mugs robin shu broke two ribs in the middle of that fight but he didn't want to tell anybody because he felt it might ruin his hollywood dream if they had to stop the production for him to heal so he kept doing like i think 10 more takes until they were finally done 
done. And then right after they were done shooting for the day, he went right to the hospital. God. So I, I don't know how wow. he how he did that. There's shoot. treasure right there. Yeah. Uh, Bridget Wilson did all of her own stunts and fight scenes. Really? Yeah. But but well, here's the, here's the but. <laughs> she didn't have a she didn't have enough time to prepare because she got cast at the last minute after doing Billy Madison. So her fight with Kano was pushed back to the end of the Thailand shoot. So she had a little time to train. Uh, she dislocated her shoulder during her training. And she didn't even really feel it. So everybody on set was just freaked out because she had this dislocated shoulder. She didn't know it was they dislocated. Popped it right back in right then and there. Yeah. Huh? yeah. And they said, like, do you have like a weird shoulder? Do you have like a free shoulder? She's just like, nah. And they're like, you're taking this really, really well. Are you sure you don't have some sort of previous injury we should yeah. know about? And she said, no, nah, I'm cool. And then, like you said, they just popped it back in yeah. and they just kept working. Ew. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to my little brother growing up. He would dislocate his shoulders. Like, then, like Mel Gibson, Lethal Weapon, where he just like unhinges his shoulder. Yeah, growing up, he could yeah. just dislocate his shoulder, but then he could never get it back in. So my dad would have to <laughs> pop it back in. Jesus His Christ. elbows, too. That's fucking disgusting. All right, let's it looks th- painful. It's like a fatality. Yeah, yeah Kyle's <laughs> fatality. Jesus Christ. All right, so uh, then we got Lyndon Ashby. Um, he wanted a stunt double for his fight against Scorpion, uh, but Robin Shu says that he had to convince him to do everything himself because it'd be more realistic. So in that fight with him and Scorpion, it is all Lyndon Ashby. He's oh, doing all the fighting nice. in that fight. Uh, Ashby says that uh, Chris Casamassa did an axe kick to his kidneys during the fight and because of that he was peeing blood uh, yeah the director says that Ashby was eating Advil like they were M&M's so everybody was just on Advil during the entire you know fight shoot for this movie and boozing pretty hard and boozing pretty yeah. hard <laughs> sounds like The Room sounds like Star Wars A New Hope yeah more deleted scenes. I know we talked about uh, a few before. So there was supposed to be a love story between Liu Kang and Katana, but they removed it because they felt like they had... You can't have both is what they thought, right? Yeah, that's what they felt. You can't have the love scene with all the fighting going on. They just they stuck with just the fighting, right? Yeah, and I think the movie is good the length that it's at. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you'd probably have to add maybe 10 more minutes to the movie to add all that stuff. Uh, there was supposed to be a fight between Katana and Jade, uh, so Jade was supposed oh. to be uh, one of Shang Tsung's kind of bodyguards, yeah. mm-hmm. but uh, it never got filmed. It was just taken out of the script. Uh, there was supposed to be a scene, like you said, Jason, where they all mourn Art Lean uh, after Goro kills him. And uh, Muggs, I think you might like this. There is a scene where Liu Kang is fighting Sub-Zero, yeah. and he's running down a ramp. Yes. And he jumps up, and he does a little punch in the air for no reason. I I hate it. It's like a trash of mine. You want to know why that's in the movie? There's a reason? Okay, why? All right, so according to IMDb, he was supposed to do a bunch of like backflips or front flips down that ramp and kind of meet Sub-Zero halfway or whatever to fight. But he could never get it right. So on one of the takes, he just jumps up and does like a fist pump in the air and screams. And that's the shot they decided to go with. Why? Oh, no. <laughs> that's the worst thing they in the world. They couldn't even like, pick the messed up backflip, front flip shots? They nope. That one? Couldn't do it. <laughs> no. It's one of my trashes, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I watched the movie and I saw that, I immediately thought of you and I was like, this is what he's talking about. Right <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to the music. There we go. Oh, my yeah. God, my favorite soundtrack. Uh, the composer for this movie is George S. Clinton. Uh, he worked on uh, the Austin Powers movies and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He should have won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah. He should have, yeah. yes. Uh, he said that when they went to test audiences, they played the movie with a temp score. So if you don't know what a temp score is, they just take music from another movie and they just overlay that on top of the footage. Um, so what they did was they used a traditional orchestra, kind of like you see in like a Star, Star Wars, Wars Indiana that, yeah. Jones. yeah. But the audience was not feeling it at all because in the Mortal Kombat games, you would always hear techno music. 
And yes. so they wanted the movie to have techno music. So after the test screenings, they made it a point to incorporate a lot of the EDM stuff into the movie and the soundtrack. Kazanov says that two record companies, Sony and Virgin Records, turned them down because they insisted on using electronic dance music. Everybody was trying to force either rock guitar or pop or R&B on them, and they were adamant about using EDM. Uh, some people at the record companies even suggested Janet Jackson for the soundtrack. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Would not no. work. Uh, they did, however, suggest Buckethead, who would eventually become a part of the soundtrack once it got released. By the end of it, they had to go to TVT Records in order to get the kind of music they actually wanted, uh, which ended up being primarily EDM and rock. The song we all love and the song we all make love too. <laughs> is called Techno Syndrome Mortal Kombat and it's by The Immortals a Belgian EDM group uh, they created the song using original sounds and added additional samples from the video game itself and like we discussed earlier the yell Mortal Kombat comes Mortal from the commercials Kombat. yeah the soundtrack was released August 15th 1995 uh, the album was the first ever EDM record to go platinum in the United States. The first ever EDM, huh? First yeah. ever, yeah. And in 1995, peaked at number 10 on the Billboard 200 in September yes. that year, about a month after its release. It peaked at number two as a soundtrack. So one thing I just want to say, this was my junior high years, you know, time frame. Yeah, I'm old, whatever. But this was on KISS FM constantly. Like you would have the normal stuff and then like, it would come Mortal Kombat. It was like the coolest thing ever in the world. And I have to admit, I actually bought this soundtrack. I actually I, had the I, CD. I, I bought it, it, it was great, dude. I'm telling you, it was the best $14.99 purchase I've ever had in my yeah. life. Yeah. It, it was amazing. Um, I'm not going to lie. I own the actual song electronically now through iTunes, you know? I do too. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all So I'm do. not the only one, right? Yeah. Like, if you don't own it, I mean, yeah. do you have a heart? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It came on in my car one time on shuffle and I screamed. I was so pumped and I was just Wait, just what, what did you scream though? Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. This soundtrack was at number 10 at its peak, uh, which was the week of September 23rd, 1995, uh, three weeks after it came out. So here are the top 10 albums at that time on the Billboard charts that here week. Here we go. So Mortal Kombat was number 10. Uh, then you got uh, Frog Stomp by Silverchair. Oh, yeah. That you was got the 90s. Uh, Games Rednecks Play by Jeff Foxworthy. You got The Woman in Me by Shania Twain. There you okay. go. You got The Show, uh, which is a soundtrack. Uh, you got 1999 Eternal by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Ooh. You got Crazy Sexy Cool by TLC at number four. <sighs> number three is Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Uh, number two was Cracked Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. Ooh, Hootie. And then uh, number one was the Dangerous Mind soundtrack. Yeah. Coolio, yeah. duh. Yeah, so uh, that was the top 10. Oh, also, just because we love this movie so much, Batman Forever was number 20 at this time. Seal. Yeah. At uh, After 17 weeks of release, it was at number, tw uh, number 20, and it peaked at number five. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this album didn't get nominated for any Oscars or anything like that, but it did win a BMI Film Music Award and a USA Golden Reel Award. Uh, this album was so popular, it inspired another album called Mortal Kombat, More Kombat. Uh, it came out uh, November 1996, about a year. Jason's shaking his head. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just looking at the songs on here, and like Napalm Death has a song on the soundtrack, which I think is just really weird. On the Mortal Kombat soundtrack? Yes. Yeah. If you listen to it, like we were watching last night, like there's some metal like in the yeah. beginning oh, yeah. of this. KMFDM's on here. Uh, Fear Factory. There's some like there's some heavier music on this. It was pretty interesting. Their uh, end credits music was kind of mellow. I felt like though. 
after yeah. the initial but when Sonia and Jax are going to that like concert you know venue thing wherever they're at like there's music going on and it's pretty it's pretty intense yeah I, I forgot about that until we were watching it so yeah. I actually own both of these soundtracks <laughs> And it was good music. We so every time we woke up in the morning, we're getting ready. We would actually play both soundtracks to wow. get us before we went to school. That was nice. kind of our morning routine. You had two hours to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the whole album. We would just play just the moral yeah, combat we, one. We would play like you know various songs, and then you know when we get home and we were playing basketball, we would play the soundtrack as well. Nice. Moving on to the release of the film, because everybody was doubting the movie from the very beginning. Everybody involved in the film was worried about how it was going to open up. Similar to George Lucas, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson says that he went to Hawaii with his girlfriend to avoid the opening, and that's where he found out it was number one at the box office. Uh, his reaction to it was, damn it, why aren't we in L.A.? But, you know, he already paid for his Hawaii trip, so he just stayed out there for the rest of the week. So, I don't know, directors, that's where they go when they're yeah. afraid about their movies, apparently. <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat opened up to $23.3 million its opening weekend which was, uh, at the time, the second highest August opening in history, and it stayed at number one for three weeks, like you mentioned before, Mugga. Yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson says that after Mortal Kombat was released, Mike DeLuca, uh, who produced Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> uh, asked him to come back for the sequel, but instead, uh, Anderson went on to do Event Horizon. Looking back, he says that he probably should have done the second movie, which is the reason why he kept coming back to the Resident Evil series, in order to kind of steer the franchise in a consistent direction. Producer Lawrence Kazanoff says that immediately after this movie came out, he wanted to produce the next piece of uh, Mortal Kombat material. So like the TV show, mm. live show, all that other stuff. So this movie did get a sequel, like we talked about. Mortal Kombat Annihilation came out in 1997. Uh, there is a third Mortal Kombat movie that is set to come out January 15th, 2021. It's directed by uh, Simon McQuad, and it's produced by James Wan, who directed Saw, Furious 7, and uh, our favorite Aquaman. There you go. So it's going to be some, good. Might get some Pitbull yeah. in this next movie. You never know. <laughs> Pitbull is the one screen Mortal Kombat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I would die. That'd be the dopest shit. Quick fact about Simon McQuad. Uh, this will be his first ever feature film. He has not directed anything prior to this new Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. The only thing uh, that I could find, I looked on his IMDb and he has like zero credits. Um, he has like a video short uh, and it's called uh, The Nighttime Economy that he did in 2014. But like this dude has like zero resume. So I wonder how that's going to turn out. Yeah. But that's it for Mortal Kombat. There you go. Cool. Let's move on to our experience with the movie. Jason, why don't you tell us your experience with Mortal Kombat? You know, I've been trying to think about this all day. I really can't remember the first time I watched it. Um, I remember loving the game. Like I said, I had it on um, Super Nintendo and Sega. Of course, I preferred it on Sega. But I remember anticipating the movie coming out. But I think I didn't see this in theaters. I saw it uh, once it came out. And uh, we, we rented it. I watched it. I remember liking it a lot as a kid. I didn't watch the movie a whole lot. And then, again, I watched it for the podcast. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's my experience. Erica, what is your experience? Um, I saw this movie on VHS after you were able to rent it for the very first time. My dad rented it for me because I was a huge Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter fan. And then I rewatched it again for the first time last night. So I saw it, like, once growing up. And then once again yesterday, oh, but I remember it being a favorite of mine when I was little, just never, we returned the videotape and I never bought the movie. So yeah, I never bought it either as a kid. I ran it from Hollywood video, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mugga, what's your experience? I actually saw this in the theaters and I know the exact date, not the date, sorry, the exact day is what I'm talking about. Um, it was buddies of mine, 
you're in that junior high era, you know, mom drops you off. Um, I'm from Redlands, California, and we had Rainbow Theater back then. It had two theaters, <laughs> one that was the main one and an upstairs one, if you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it was showing this in the upstairs one, very small. Um, and I, when I bring back the soundtrack, I remember during this actual movie was going on, and one of the fight scenes with the main song, my buddy looks down at me and goes, we're buying this soundtrack. And I'm like, yeah, we are. You know, this CD at the time. I think we said CD. Yeah. But but, uh, but yeah, uh, I, I remember seeing it with some friends. And uh, yeah, I mean, we bought the soundtrack and played it nonstop, you know. But yeah, I actually remember watching this in theaters. I don't know how much I watched it after that. Um, yeah. I've watched it twice for the reviewing of this podcast. But, uh, but I do remember actually sitting in the theater of Rainbow Theater in Redlands, California, uh, watching this movie. It was a fun day. Yeah. That's my experience. All right. Uh, For me, uh, I remember watching this a lot of times after school. So like me and uh, like my neighbors or whatever, we just go to each other's houses. We had the VHS and we just watch it at each other's houses. And then we just play Mortal Kombat like immediately after that. So we just have like a whole Mortal Kombat day. That was just like the thing when I was in elementary school. Um, I do remember watching this movie a couple times during college, like it would just show up on like TNT or whatever. And then um, since I really haven't touched the movie since then, but um, I did watch it about a week ago for this podcast. I think it was like a Tuesday night or something like that. And then, uh, yeah, took some notes for this podcast and that was it. Didn't we decide to do this because I was... Saturday morning and I was like say hey guys Mortal Kombat's on TV let's add it to the list and that's how we edit it yeah cause like you, you <laughs> yeah. yeah you group text uh, me and Jay yeah. and then you're like we gotta do this movie <laughs> we're like fuck it that's our next movie I was like I wanna be on it cause I love Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah alright Bling what's your experience so I was a huge fan of this game I pumped so much money playing this game at, at the arcades so that when it came out saw it opening weekend Ended up buying the soundtrack, just like you did, Bugga. <laughs> I've actually seen this movie on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Laserdisc. Oh, God. <laughs> Laserdisc. Yes. You went back in time. Yeah, so now the Laserdisc version, we never got through because that version was just the worst. It lagged so much. So it was the only movie I tried to watch on Laserdisc. They didn't even get through it. So it's been a few years since I've watched it. I did love this movie when it first came out. I, I raved about it. So I watched it yesterday, and I can tell you it, it hasn't aged well. But uh, it's still, to me, it's, I, I still enjoyed it for the most part, but there's some things that, and I'll go into more detail in my trash and tears. But for the most part, when it first came out, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. All right, cool. Let's move on to Trash and Treasure. Jason, what is your Trash and Treasure with this movie? Okay, so I'll start with my trash. First and foremost, Raiden's voice, like I already talked about. Come into my tournament. I, I, it's, it's uncomfortable to listen to. I'm, I'm like, please stop, or maybe it's a joke, because he, he, he like says some jokes throughout. I'm like, maybe it's just a joke. He's going to change his voice. No, 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 it's the same thing throughout the whole thing, this creepy mm-hmm. kind of, I don't even know. He's like Batman. Yeah, he, yeah. He's doing his like, <laughs> Kind of, but it's like, it's like Batman trying to be a creep, kind of. Like, that's Katana, what it sounds like. Katana, where is she? Yeah. Which is like, hey, Katana, where is she? And it's like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. Um, I'm bummed that we didn't get to see Jack's fight. Because at this point, Mortal Kombat 2 had already came out. Yeah. And I remember I liked that character in the game, and I was, I was kind of bummed. And they said, I mean, they reference him, you see him. and then It you was know, a half-ass reference. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, I mean, you get to see him, I guess, more in Annihilation, but, you know, that movie's shit. Um <laughs> So, I can't. I kind of can't wait to watch it now. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna rent it later. Yeah, do it. Yeah, if you got time to waste, go ahead. Uh, Sonia, I think she overacts a shit ton. Just taking it really serious, but I don't know. I I think she does okay. I mean, 
but I just think she overacts the, the hell out of it. Um, I like Scorpion as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was even Scorpion for Halloween one time when I was a kid. Uh-huh. But I don't like the constant get over here, get down here. Get down here. Get down here. Welcome. When they, when they go through the portal or whatever, and then they're in his lair or whatever you want to call it. But then he says, welcome. And it's just like, yeah. And then it's like, <laughs> he's above him. And then it's like, and it's like get down here. Get over here. All right, it's kind of overkill. To you think me. you think you'd say please once in a while? <laughs> but that's not the video game. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying it, it's one thing he says it one time. Uh, cool, maybe even twice. But then he's like, I've never heard him say get down here in the video game. He never, he never. never. So, yeah, it's always get over here. He never yeah. says welcome either. Like, yeah, yeah no, I get him here. Welcome. Whatever. <laughs> kind of dragged me here. Um, I, I don't like that scorpion. Also explodes For after no Johnny yeah. Cage kills him. <laughs> He starts like like lava just starts you know spewing out of him. He has the skull head. Okay, cool. I'm fine with that. But the then like, the skull head's cool. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I agree. I mean, it's but the it, way it looks is kind of you know looking at it from this perspective now. You know, being 2020, it looks like shit. But yeah. it's like still cool to see it. But just the explosion, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about how they shot the movie. They did a lot of you know really wide shots, and then they said, oh, you know, it's just taking too much time. The actors are getting you know Tired, winded and yeah. stuff like that. So they did all these they did closer shots. But there's a there's a few like weird shots of their faces when they're fighting, like they're fighting and it looks like they're trying to push out a really bad fart or something like that. <laughs> and then it's just like weird like like goofy kind of smile. I don't know. I don't go back and watch it. It's like Johnny Cage and Sony, especially. Yeah, no, and Luke Kang too. All three of them. There's just some weird fucking shots. I didn't like that. <laughs> um, when Shang Tsung says like fatality or flawless victory and all this stuff, I, uh, oh, I hate it. it. I, I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. it's just overkill. It it's one. T- it's one thing to say it once. It's like, well, why they say that in the video game? It's cool, you know. But well, it's like, so, so here's the thing too. In in the game, if you don't get hit. That's a flawless That's victory. That's a flawless victory. So yeah. there's instances where, you they're know. They're getting hit. They're getting hit. So it's not a flawless victory. Yeah. And it's just like, why would you say that? You should have said fatality and just yeah. stuck to fatality. Finish, yeah, yeah, bad. finish him. But it, it was does, overkill. It says yes. finish him too. And it's yeah. just like, yeah. yeah, you're beating us over the head with it. I, we get it. It's Mortal Kombat. I understand. Yeah. Uh, just so we talked about this earlier, how they kind of splice different scenes together. But like the weird cut after Sonya beats Kano. And then all of a sudden we're in the forest with Johnny Cage and, yeah. and Scorpion. I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Reptiles fall after Liu Kang does the the bicycle kit. It's like the worst fall. It's like backflipping through the yeah yeah. And I'm just like he's totally in control of his body. Like he's not been kicked. No, yeah. It's like a, it's like a cartoon. Like it's bad. It's fucking awful. I didn't care much for the end of the movie. Personally, no. just the way it ends. I mean, I guess in Annihilation, the way they the way they pick it up right from that, I guess is kind of cool. But it's just I don't know. I, I didn't care much for it. And I don't know if this is a trash or treasure, but the first words for the movie is the name of the movie. Can you think of another movie like that? Like they say Mortal Kombat before the title screen comes up. They do? Well, it's yeah, a song. Like, like yeah. before, before oh, the- uh, I thought you meant like- It says New Line Cinema or whatever. Yeah, like before New Line Cinema even comes up when the, like the little film strips are flying into the darkness, yeah. it's already started and they've yeah. already said Mortal Kombat. You're just oh. like ready to go. I don't know. All I know is I rewatched it last night and as soon as I heard them yell Mortal Kombat, I had like my back turned or something from to the TV. And as soon as I heard them say Mortal Kombat, I turned around and started thrusting. And my boyfriend thought I was insane. Thrusting. <laughs> yeah, I was doing this weird dance. There's a video of me doing it. He, he recorded it. What? Can we put that on our Instagram page? Might have to. No. No, I just thought it was funny because I always think of that Family Guy episode where like they're in the theater and like Peter says he, he can't wait till they say the name of the movie. 
in the oh. movie. So like, I think one of the titles is like Superman Four, and whatever the title is. But like, and that's when it's time for Superman Four, or whatever the fucking title is. Yeah. It's just like, ah, uh, ah, uh, he said it, he said it. <laughs> it's just like, I was like, dude, they say it in the first words before the title screen comes. I was like, Jesus. And then that's that's my trash, my treasure. I like Luke King. I think he does a good job. Yeah. Only thing I don't like about him is just a lot of unnecessary like yelling. Lots and lots of yelling. This is your treasure? This is my treasure. I like Luke King. Oh, okay. Just a little caveat, just saying, hey, oh, I don't okay, like all okay. the yelling. Um, I thought Kano did a good job. Although he wasn't Japanese-American like he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an interesting take. I mean, I thought the face looked pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, he's kind of an asshole. Kind of, that's what I imagine Kano to be. Of course, the music. I love mm, the Mortal yeah. Kombat song. I mean, everything's great. We all have it. Oh, yeah. It's my ringtone. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, one part that makes me laugh every time is when uh, Johnny Cage, they're, they're all on the boat to get to the island in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And like, I think Liu Kang gets out, Sony gets out, and then Johnny Cage has like eight bags <laughs> with him. Like yeah. Yeah. Louis Vuitton bags, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eight bags. Yeah. <laughs> he's like about to hop out. Like he's going to like, he like gets up to like, he like baby steps up to the very edge of the boat and he's just like kind of there. And I'm like, all right, is he going to hop out? Because it's like kind of a far drop and you have to get in the water. I'm like, he has eight bags. And he just just falls straight <laughs> over face first, face plants in the water. I I was watching it again this morning. I was dying. I was like, holy shit. I replayed this is that. Huh? I replayed that. Yeah. Oh, you have to. <laughs> I rewinded it too. I was like, I got to watch this again. Um, my last treasure. Um, I like a lot of the sets look like the levels from the original. Yeah. The video yeah. I thought they did a good job. The production I, design was good on this movie. Yeah, because I was looking up all that stuff about Reptile and like the guys running through all the levels. I'm like, holy shit. And I just watched the movie right before that. And I'm like, man, they did a pretty good job of creating these levels. So that's my trash and treasure. All right. Erica, what's your trash and treasure? Um, I don't have that much because I think the whole movie is a treasure. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, my trash is kind of similar to Jason's. Uh, number one trash, I didn't like Raiden. I mean, the actor, he's a great actor in every other movie he's been in, but I felt like with Raiden for Mortal Kombat, they should have stuck to the whole, um, what was he, Japanese-American Raiden? He was Japanese, and, I think, yeah. But they totally, like we discussed this before, they totally whitewashed his character. Mm-hmm. Like Jason said, he had a really creepy pedo voice, which was weird. Another trash was Goro for me. I feel like Goro was an awesome character in the video game. For its time, he did look decent. It didn't age really well if we're looking at 2020 to 19. But Kerwin brings up a good point. If we can make a T-Rex come to life, why can't we fix Goro a little bit better? I mean, this is prior to this movie. Well, no, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I get budget is a whole thing with this movie too but come on like like I said earlier it looks like someone paper mache Goro in a kindergarten class like it's not good at all just that face man I can't get over the that. face is yeah I think when he beats um Art Lean or whatever and like he looks up and the camera's right above him and it comes up like his face like just laughing just looks really creepy it looks so weird it looks like some fucked up animatronic at Disneyland real quick so they did CGI uh, his mouth Oh, oh, is that why it looks weird? Oh, maybe yeah. that's what so it is. So they did do some CGI for his mouth to kind of get it to sync up as much as possible with the audio. Mm. Wow. Maybe that's why it looks weird. Yeah, maybe that that's it. But yeah, I didn't like Goro, and I thought Goro was a really cool character in the video game itself. Um, agreeing with Jason, I didn't 
like how Jax wasn't able to show his full potential in this movie. He's a great character in the video game, um, but here he just got his soul taken. Yeah. Uh, no, that wasn't Jax. Yeah, it was. No, that's Art Lean. It's art. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jax, 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 Jax didn't make it on the boat. Yeah, Jax was Oh, he fight. didn't. Yeah, yeah. he stuck at, back in America. He yeah. stuck at the docks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Sonya and Jax go to the docks to find Kano. Jax hangs back, and then Sonya ends up on the boat. Yeah. Mugger brought this up earlier. I hated Scorpion's rope, oh, yeah. animal, hand, palm thing. And they over, like... Extenuate like when it comes out all slow and you and you see, I'm like what the, the hell CGI are you doing? was bad, but I actually liked the no, I didn't I, like I, the I Venus flytrap looking wow. thing. I liked it as it was cool, like you know, hey, it was it it, it was part of him. It was like a, a demonic extension of him because he's from hell. I, I actually like wanted to see that incorporated into a future game, and they never did. So, but but I I understand the CGI behind it. It it was terrible. Okay, if they had a better concept, maybe. But, like, yeah. the way it looked, like, this gap is just opening in his hand. Like, and the skin's peeling back. and But it, it just doesn't look, even look like the skin's peeling back. It literally looks like a space is just opening. Yeah, it's hard to tell really what's going on. Yeah. I, I hated that, too. Correct me if I'm wrong. How does his scorpion chain thing come out in the game? He throws it He just throws it. He just throws it. He just throws it Get over here. Okay, so it's not like anything coming from his hand. It's not organic, no. Okay, I always just did the move and there it was. That's it for my trash and treasure. Or my my trash. My treasure. I love this movie. Despite how it doesn't age well, watching it last night, I was super pumped. The song. I love the song. Um, I thought, like Jason said, Liu Kang they picked a really great guy to play him. Um, I actually liked Shang Tsung's character. Yeah, I thought job. he was, he played a really good soul eater. Um, the fight scenes were really good. Like we discussed, the choreography on the fight scenes were pretty badass for its time and I liked how they all trained for it. Um, I actually like Sonya Blade. Looking at it now and thinking about Cameron Diaz playing Sonya Blade, I don't think that would have been a good thing. For the movie, or even Cameron Diaz, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, like I just feel like when I think of Sonya Blade, other than obviously this video game character that you see on Mortal Kombat, I always think of the character, the actress that plays her. What's her name? Bridget Wilson. What yeah. about? Because I think Christina Applegate was up for the part too. See, like, I don't you see, see her. Doing that? No, no, I don't see anyone but her playing it. Yeah. And I think it has to do with me seeing it when I was little. And then playing the video game afterwards, just imagining it like, okay, this is who plays Sonya Blade. Sort of deal. I, I, I like her, but I, I feel like I always just think of Veronica Vaughn from Billy Madison every time. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do too. It's like so, that yeah. Veronica Vaughn. I didn't know that she was in um, The Wedding Planner as Matthew McConaughey's fiance. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, my treasure is the whole movie. I love it. It brings me back to a time of my childhood where I played a lot of Mortal Kombat, even though I only saw the movie once as a child. But yeah, I was pumped to revisit this. All right, cool. Uh, Mugga, what about you? What's your trash and treasure? First of all, is Erica going 15 or 20? That's kind of where I'm looking at this. <laughs> yeah, right? she didn't have a lot to say. She ain't going 20, but maybe 15. Um, <laughs> my trash, I'll start with first. Um, the improper use of flawless victory, right? Okay, I, yeah, I don't like how... It, yeah. But hear me out, though. Yeah. Johnny Cage, does he ever get hit by Goro? No. No. So why don't they say fucking flawless victory? Like, like that's bullshit. They... <laughs> Like the, he never gets hit, so no. that's an actual false victory. And Does he it, doesn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Dude. No, 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 go, yeah. no. What did you say? Doesn't he say it after he Goro does. falls off? Does he? Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage says it. 
He goes, Flawless oh, does victory. he? Okay. Because I, I thought that there was the, it's always the, the leader, Shang Tsung. And, and yeah. he never, yeah, he Shang does, Tsung. but he does do it for Sub Zero because yeah. he never gets hit when he just freezes that guy yeah. and he says, yeah. Okay, so anyways, um, I hate Scorpion's harpoon. I, I, I don't, I, I wish it was it's traditional. Harpoon. Yeah. What, what else are you going to call no, it? I, I, I mean, that's that what I call it. it. No, Harpoon I love that you call it a harpoon. Spear. Um, <laughs> Kerwin's already made it well known. Liu Kang's uh, punch during the Sub-Zero fight. Yeah. I know. Every time I see it, I just, I laugh. I even laughed last night, I think. We, you were here, right? When I showed you, I was just like, look at this is where it's coming. And bam. Yeah. Um, I don't like that you don't get to see Raiden fight. I, I wish that we could have seen it fight. I played Raiden a lot when yeah. this game was around. Um, Jason brought it up, the ending. I think it's just it's total bullshit. But I haven't seen Annihilation. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. No, I'll agree with you. The ending's bullshit, like with you two. I just didn't want to beat a dead I horse. I might be reaching for something, <laughs> but Sonya Blade. Like, I like Bridget. I think she does a good job acting as Sonya Blade. But when she's fighting Kane and she's got her fists up and she does like a little gallop, I kind of cringe. And it's like, there's no way she'd be beating Kane with her fighting style. I mean, it's really like bad, right? I mean, did anyone else notice that? Like the way she's like galloping on the sand? Yeah, no, I noticed that, but she kind of does that in the video game too. Does she? She, she got yeah. kind of like the, yeah. She has like a little, like, like, a, like, like an old jive. Uh, I don't know. Of like, yeah. Um, another trash, I, I, I'm pretty upset they didn't go with the R rating, but I get they had to do what they had to do. Um, and that the only blood you see is on Shang Tsung's like lip. lip at the very, very end. I mean, this is Mortal Kombat. But other than that, that's kind of all I had going into my treasures. Um, I love how they are able to separate the good characters versus the bad characters. You know, I love how like you got Sonya Blade as good. You have Sub-Zero Scorpion as evil. And so I, I love how they can do it. I think Street Fighter did a good job at this. Yeah, I thought they did a very good job at it. Um, and then editing the sequences, I thought they did fairly well for what this for movie the is. Time, yeah. I mean, there's a couple fight scenes that are pure legit. Um, I think Scorpion, Sub Zero, Reptiles costumes are like the shit. I, I think they're just great. Yeah. Like the way they look at it, I'm just like, all right, cool. Um, other than that, the main thing is the music. I think yeah. the music just, I mean, you know, the I mean, there's song other things. That brought us like, all together. I think they did a good job on casting. You know, I think they did a good job of nailing the characters. Um, filming on Thailand, I thought was a cool thing, but I can't get over it. my biggest treasure of all time is the music. The music. I mean, I still to this day will listen to this song. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie, you know, and it's 2020, you know, and. But uh, but yeah, overall that's 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 my uh, trash and treasure. I think it's very evenly matched. On yeah, mine. I feel like we're all we could all agree on that because I think we take it back to our childhood and anything that reminds us of our childhood, we hold like a special place yeah. for it. So this could be a trash movie, and we're all over here like this is fucking great yeah. <laughs> for all we know. All right, I have a lot of trash. No, <laughs> you out of all people yeah. go. I want to know. I I usually have the most trash. We might we might agree on the same things. Girl. All right. I'm going to run through this as fast as I can. All right. So with the creepy skulls and the statues, like we fucking get it. Like they're creepy skulls and statues. Like my whole thing is like if you play a drinking game, take a shot every time there's a close up of a skull or a creepy statue. It happens all the time. You'll be dead by minute 30. (laughs) Um, Not even drunk, dead. (laughs) Yeah, just just dead. Yeah. When Liu Kang wakes up, I do not like the green lights. 
it's just like, where do you live? Yeah. Like, are you a member of the- I thought of the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. Like, are you in the Green Lantern Corps? Yeah. Like, why is everything green in your apartment? Oh, Sonia and Jack's running through the club or the concert or whatever with heavy weaponry and nobody notices. Like, they keep dancing. They keep dancing. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> like, partying. Like, we talked about this in John Wick. They're using, like, you know, small pistols. You're probably not going to hear it with a lot of the uh, club music going on. But after, you know, a person gets shot, people, like, flee the scene. Yeah. Yeah. These motherfuckers, like, Sonia like blasts somebody in the sternum with a shotgun and like and the no, party goes on. nobody with moves. With a shotgun. Like he is he is dead. She pulls him up, asks him where Kano is, and in my mind I'm like, you don't want to ask that first. Yeah. Like he he dies in your arms. I don't get it. I can um, die in your arms. But you know, prior to even that scene, the guy lets off the Uzi. Like there should have been panic yeah. right after yeah. that. And no, so he misses. Even... He misses every single person <laughs> with an Uzi. He, he, shoots, a club. he shoots Sonia Blade. <laughs> He shoots at her, misses her completely. She's like five feet away, and nobody in the crowd gets shot at all. So I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. When Liu Kang is talking to his grandfather, and his grandfather says, to save the world is not nonsense. And then Liu Kang says, two men fighting in a simple contest does not decide these things, grandfather. And I'm just like, you've never seen a movie? Yeah. Like, every movie is like this, and you're in one of them. Like, get with the fucking program. Um, like you said, Jason, I don't like... Raiden's like voice yeah. it comes off as like a really bad like Christian Bale Batman voice um, and uh, when he first walks into the temple the temple of light or whatever it's called yeah. like his voice is like dubbed over like it does not match his mouth movements is it? it feels like Ooh. it's dubbed over it feels like it's not it feels like it's 80 yard um, the Raiden versus Liu Kang fight where he like flips him over was that necessary because like yeah. I'm just like hey bro you're the chosen one and you give up after one flip yeah. like okay. come on keep fighting that should have been like a fight by itself yeah. like yeah. at least have seen Raiden fight yeah one fight with Raiden to show him fight that would have been cool you know Johnny uh, he cares more about people reading a newspaper with his face on it than he does about Liu Kang throwing his shit into the ocean <laughs> so like Liu Kang takes his money and throws his suitcase over the docks right and Johnny's just like kind of like well, at least I didn't tell him to park the car. <laughs> and he just kind of laughs it off. But when he sees um, Arlene with the magazine, like the newspaper, he like rips that shit out of his hands. He's just like, hey, man. Oh, sorry. Or when he sees his master, Shang Sun or whatever, at the movie shoot, he gets all pissed off when he sees somebody reading the, the fucking newspaper. And I'm just kind of like, you get more mad about this 99 cent newspaper than what might be thousands of dollars in this suitcase of yours getting thrown into the fucking Pacific Ocean. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, where are your priorities at? Um, you know, visual effects are pretty bad. Like, they look hand-drawn. Uh, Bling and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, we don't know the studio, but, like, uh, it looks like a lot of, like, late 80s type stuff, but not well done. Yeah. Like, if you look at Back to the Future, like, the lightning's really well done, and that's hand-drawn. But this is just not very good. I don't like the scorpion the Pokemon hand. coming out of his hand. Yeah. I don't like that shit. <laughs> the victory bell. <laughs> he has, like, Arbok coming out of his hand and shit. Yeah. Why are there floating skulls in the sky? I don't get it. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Um, Aren't there floating skulls in the video game? I guess, but they just don't look good here. Yeah, yeah. they don't. Um, you know, the reptile statue turns into like a fucking Digimon when Shang Tsung <laughs> talks to it. I, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> like, once Sonya, and then Sonya Blade, like when she meets Raiden and Shang Tsung on the bottom of that boat, 
it's like she forgets all about Kano and Jax real quick. She's yeah. so down to just go to this tournament, not even knowing if Kano's gonna be there. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'll stay on the boat. And she just goes. And it's not until they get off the boat and onto the beach that she's just like, I should probably contact these guys. And she has like her radio out. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Are you like special forces on the boat? Raiden says, it has begun, right? Not even five seconds later, <laughs> Shang Sun says, it has begun. And I'm like, you guys are eight feet apart. <laughs> you didn't hear each other? Okay, like, well, I just want to point out, I said this earlier, I didn't even know the tournament started. So <laughs> so they probably had to say it three times for me to realize that it has begun. Shang Sun like yells it, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like part in the heavens. He's, yeah. like, <laughs> he's like, it has begun. I just, like I said, I imagine it to be in an arena of some sort. I don't know. Do they got to fill out like some some what? forms? Like, And I don't want to like cut crew up, but like, yeah, imagine like arena. Like why is there some times where there's like an actual playing field or That's battle? what I'm saying. Then they're, then they're in the forest and then there's yeah. like, what are the rules? So and where, and like the just, rules, these are breaking the rules. Like, well, we don't know what the fucking rules are, Can I just are, fight Raven. you at cold like, mugs? Let's go like, on, yeah. Can I just do that? And who's officiating you? Yes. Yeah, like, how do you know? Yeah, like nobody, like you said, like you said, Jay, like we just cut to the forest. <laughs> like we don't get like a like a fucking like resolution to the fight and with Sonya Blade. Yeah. Like, it's just he's running through the forest and that's it. Like what if he didn't know the fight began? Yeah, what if he's just like, on a walk trying to get like, trying to get those steps? Get over here. <laughs> he's like, no scorpion. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> and then it just turns into a romance or some shit. Um Fifty Shades so of Cage. Johnny Cage asked Liu Kang you know, what's so special about you? And then Liu Kang says, I don't know. And I'm just sitting there watching this movie. I'm like, 15 minutes ago, you told us you were the chosen one. (laughs) You don't don't know what's special about you? Like, they just told you. Everybody's fucking telling you you're the descendant of Kung Lao. Like, pay attention. There's a scene where after reptile attacks, like uh, Johnny, Sonya, and Liu Kang are walking down a hallway. So after they have that fight in the... uh, the dining room or whatever. Oh, yeah. They're walking down a hallway with all these cobwebs and shit, right? Like thick ass cobwebs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And like Luke Kang says, "Do you know where we're going?" And Johnny says, "Johnny Cage says, I know exactly where we're going. Katana went this way." And I'm like, "Do you not see these cobwebs? These cobwebs <laughs> are like, like really intact. No human being has walked this way." <laughs> Since Aerosmith made Walk This Way. Like, there's, oh there's no fucking reason for this shit to be here. Like, she did not come this way. Um, I don't like Liu Kang's extra movements where he does the fists in the air. Yeah. There's another moment in the movie like that where they're fighting in the dining room. Sonya Blade is fighting somebody. Johnny Cage is fighting somebody. Liu Kang is fighting nobody. What he does is he runs to, like, the statue pillar at the bottom of the stairs, does a cartwheel over it, and he's like, yeah! <laughs> and then it cuts to somebody else fighting and I'm like you're not doing anything you're not helping like are you on break are you taking your Union 10 like what's the fucking deal when Kano has his like head between Sonya Blade's legs he's just spitting everywhere just spitting all over this poor actress's legs I don't know if that was on purpose or what maybe it was blood and then like Nintendo released this movie and they changed <laughs> it to spit I don't get it turn to sweat yeah I don't like that Kitana says you must use the element that brings life. Oh God, yeah. And I'm just like, that. can you just say use water? water. <laughs> can you just say use water? It'd have been easier to say H2O. Yeah. <laughs> just less. And she shows up at the fight. Yeah. Like you can't throw the water. And if you notice, it's Raiden's coming through with the two buckets and places <laughs> oh. them down, and then it's like, come on, man, really, yeah. dude? Like, like. 
That's like an umpire coming to a baseball game and giving pine tar to the pitcher. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. Like, doesn't that count as cheating? Like, like you said, Mugga, what are the rules? Can somebody tell yeah. us what the rules of this tournament are? Um, you know, I don't like that, you know, Jax isn't in this movie. I was really disappointed too, Jason. Like, I picked Jax all the time in Mortal Kombat 2. So I was really bummed that, like, he had, like, a zero role in this movie. And then Art Lean, you know, he just dies. Fuck I it. thought it was the same person. It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, Art is not a character. Obviously. Yeah, I, I, I feel Kombat. bad for him too because, like, everybody else... Everybody else in this movie gets to fight a human or a human-type character. And he fights Goro. Yeah, he fights Goro. So, like, everybody else gets to fight a person, and this motherfucker has to fight fucking Machamp from Pokemon. <laughs> and it's, it's just unfair. It's you guys ever notice, though, like, you really don't care that he dies? Because he has no character development. It's no. like, all of a sudden you see him fighting Goro. Sonya cared. But I'm just saying, yeah, like, like yeah. how? Like, like, Or what they could have done is they could have made him Jax. And then the way Goro beats him is like he breaks his arms yeah. and then maybe uh, he doesn't get killed. And then so in the second movie, we have a reason for this person to have those Called new Jax, arms. Yeah. 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 Like just make him Jax and don't kill him. Just break his arms. That's all you got to do. Wasn't Art Lean supposed to be like the top fighter in the world or he's top like, fighter in this, not in this tournament, but like in the world. That's why he was there, right? Yeah. He's one of the best in the world. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because yeah. like he knew uh, him and uh, Johnny Cage knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When he sees Goro for the first time, right, he's so just astonished of like, hey, oh my God. But prior to that, you see the scene of Goro taking out like 15 humans. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like you're, you're now, you, now you're mesmerized by him? Yeah. Like, come on, dude. But to his credit, I'd be freaked out yeah. if fucking Pokemon showed up in front of me like that. <laughs> um, Pokemon Gollum. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Raiden keeps telling these guys they're not ready, they're not ready. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I'm your teacher. He's supposed to be this Obi-Wan type character. This motherfucker doesn't teach anybody shit nothing all he no. does is berate them there's one point in the movie where he's like you're not ready and i'm just like motherfucker they just beat scorpion sub-zero and kano back to back to back <laughs> like what do you mean they're not ready like they just beat these guys with zero training from you when raiden tells sonia that she needs to trust people and he's like all up in her ear and shit super creepy the way he does it like he all that he, whole scene is yeah, just, he's just cringy, like you need like, to learn to trust people and i'm just that like, really uncomfortable like calm down christian like relax relax leave anastasia alone um <laughs> the only thing raiden is good at is saying i don't think so he says yeah. it like three times in the movie at the very end right yeah, the, yeah he says it at the beginning the middle and the very end and that's that's all he does um i don't like randomly making Sonya a uh, damsel in distress and having the two dudes come and save her. Yeah. Like, we already have to save the world. You don't need to put her in, like, a fucking skin-tight, short-skirt cheerleader's outfit, like, leather Princess skin. Princess Leia kind of thing. Yeah, yeah She was just, doing so well before that, too. Yeah, it's just, like, they, they abruptly made the decision to turn her into a damsel in distress. Like, if anything, you should have done that with Katana. Yeah. Like, you should have had Shang Tsung betray Shao Kahn, take Katana as prisoner because she, you know, betrayed him, then have all three of our heroes go save her or you don't need a damsel in distress to begin with like you already have a bad guy there's already been casualties he's already got clear motive like just all three of you go after him there's no reason to turn you know what we're supposed to believe is a strong female character into a fucking damsel in distress at the last minute it reminds me of a uh, black widow in age of ultron she's oh, this yeah. badass this whole movie and then all of a sudden she just gets captured mm -hmm. like and then everybody has to save herself her. yeah i'm just kind of like it, it kind of defeats the purpose of you know, having her be that kind of character that she is. Um, when uh, Liu Kang fights Reptile, 
Where's Johnny Cage? He was right outside the building. What the hell happened? He didn't. He didn't walk in. Nothing. And then randomly, randomly after Liu Kang beats Reptile, it's him, Katana, and Johnny Cage. Yeah. I get there's reshoots, but come on, like it could have been a two on one. It would have been yeah. really cool to see that shit happen. Maybe he doubled back to the forest. Maybe he left something. <laughs> his uh, five hundred dollar glasses. Yeah, I don't know. He went back to get them. His Louis Vuitton purse. Yeah. So is Luke K really under the impression that the person claiming to be his brother in the end fight isn't an illusion? <laughs> like Shang Sun is four feet away from him and literally just transformed Morse. into yeah. his brother. Yeah. And he's standing there like, "Oh my God, you're back!" And I'm like, "He was Shang Sun <laughs> five seconds ago. He turned his back and you saw him transform. Like if I spin my chair around and I'm fucking Charles Barkley, are you gonna think I played for the Phoenix Suns? <laughs> no." no. No, I played at Bloomington High School. That's where I fucking played. Like, come on. The way this movie ends is just so abrupt. Yeah. Just yeah. like, oh, I will take over Earthrealm. The and then Raiden's just like, I don't think so. That's pretty good. That And they, they all do their like, their <laughs> Shotokan pose. poses. They're just like, huh. And then it's just like, and, and <laughs> I'm I hated the ending, but I was into that. What kind of... I mean, I like it because it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if I could say it's a trash, but just... And then Shao Kahn showing up out of nowhere. I thought there were rules to this shit. Yeah. Y'all lost. You can't just show up. Yeah. So that that's my last trash on my long list of trash. I'm sorry, y'all. The treasure... Uh, the thing I love about this movie is that it wastes zero time with the theme song. Yeah. I was actually surprised how quickly that thing played, and I actually kind of liked it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I actually like that you say Mortal Kombat before you even see the words. And on top of that, it's one of the most badass logo intros we've oh, seen. Because, yeah. oh, yeah. you know, we talked about um, Conair has like a shitty logo, yeah. the way Top Gun, uh, the logo just pops up or whatever. I love how the Mortal Kombat logo is like animated with the flames and all yeah. that shit. Hmm. So, you know, props to uh, the motion graphics team that was behind that. I really appreciated that. It's the sickest logo intro I've ever seen. I got a front. Um, when Sonya Blade says, I trust one person in this world, Jax, and you're talking to her. I thought that was pretty badass. And a better movie would have more of an impact. But I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, for the most part, uh, I do love the way they spend time with each of the major players and kind of give them their own introductions. Yeah. Like I like that they take the time for that. You know, with a budget this small, this shorter window to get something out based on an IP, I'm actually surprised they took their time with it. You know, say what you want about the execution, but I actually do appreciate that. Johnny Cage saying, you know, this is the part where you fall down. I thought that was pretty hilarious and the way the dude just falls. And I like that the camera does like a uh, 180 yeah. and you go from, you know, this uh, scene to the set. So I really thought that was really good uh, camera movement on their part. Uh, I love Shang Sun's actor, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa and Johnny Cage's actor, Lyndon Ashby, as well as Christopher Lambert to a degree they understand what kind of movie they're in. They don't take it so seriously. So it kind of works. It's kind of like when you look at um, the prequels with uh, Ian McDermott, the way he plays the Emperor and the way Ewan um, McGregor plays Obi-Wan, they know what kind of movie they're in and they play to that effect. So they bring a little bit of the camp to it and, it and it works for this movie. And I feel like everybody else is playing this movie so seriously. It's just like, fall the fuck back, relax, you know, and just kind of fit in with what kind of movie you're making. Um, Kano saying, give me a break. And then Sonya snapping his neck. Uh, that was a good moment that I remember from when I was a kid. Uh, Johnny versus Scorpion, best fight in the movie. 
like hands down in my opinion i love that fight like i hate the the animated snake hand or whatever the harpoon whatever the thing the harpoon thingy I don't even know, I don't even know what to call it. I'm gonna call it a piece of shit. I, I hate I hate the piece of shit, but I do love that like the rope is like going through the forest, making turns, all that other shit. Johnny has to um, you know get it cut caught between the trees so that it barely misses his face. I do like the the choreography and the staging of that fight, and I love that all the actors did their own fights. Like I think the Scorpion versus Johnny fight looks fucking incredible, and it did fall to shit when he took off the mask. Though I get it's from the game, but yeah. you didn't have to go that far. Like I get it, but it just didn't look as good. Uh, Goro looks good for a puppet in 1995. Yeah. Like say what you want about him, but like he looks like the fact that they were able to make this four-armed, seven or eight-foot-tall puppet a reality and have it. Because you have to think about it. Like, not only does this thing have to talk, it has to walk, it has to use forearms. He has to fight, yeah. you know, and he has to do it over and over for multiple takes. So I'm I'm really impressed by that. And maybe by today's standards, it's not good, but like, it's actually a pretty good achievement on their part, as bad as it might be now. Um, the dick punch that Johnny does is hilarious. <laughs> I loved it. And then uh, Johnny telling Goro, this is where you fall down. I think Johnny Cage is my favorite character in this movie. Um, Could have been Jax, but hey, you know, fuck, fuck, I guess. We don't let Jax have a role in this movie. I like the actor. And then my last thing is uh, basically what all you guys are saying. Um, the production design in this movie is really, really good for yeah. such a low-budget movie. Like, yeah. I love that they recreated all the stages, all the actual physical stages, not like the 3D stuff, but like the physical stages where everybody's at is really good. And, you know, my last treasure, I like... You know, I love Enter the Dragon. So, I mean, this movie is pretty much a ripoff of that, but I like it. You know, I, I like it. It works. Um, Bling, what's your trash and treasure? All right. Um, and you guys already touched on a lot of these things, but I want to kind of touch it in more detail. So, the first thing I That's did. That's what she said. <laughs> um, the CGI was really bad. Like, I didn't realize, like, I, I get it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, 2020 CGI ages, but I didn't realize how bad it was in this film. And I know you mentioned it was like late 80s. This reminded me more like early 80s, like those fantasy genre films. You can even go as far as saying like like Ghostbusters kind of CGI. And I'm like, you know, knowing that like, hey, we've had good films like Jurassic Park where the level of uh, computer animation has gotten better or whatever, uh, special effects has gotten better. It was just really bad in this film. The casting choices. I know we can say, you know, hey, the choice for Raiden, you know, it's kind of whitewashed, but it just didn't apply to him. I felt like a lot of the characters were whitewashed, like all the the ninjas, so Scorpion, um, you know, Sub Zero, Reptile. I, I don't think they use Asian actors, with the exception of Sang Soong and, and Liu Kang. I think those are the only two Asian actors in the film, and I felt yeah. like with a film that has characters based on, you know, of Asian descent, they should have casted Asian actors. And to your point, and I 100% agree with you, yeah. but it, it just kind of sucks because I think this movie and what you're talking about is emblematic of Hollywood at this time. Yeah. Like when you talk about uh, Robin Shu's auditions, he had auditioned seven times. He had to test seven times because like this studio was so apprehensive it, huh? yeah, about having an Asian lead because like that's just not a thing you do. Yeah, and I get it. At the time, it, was one, it's, it's, it wasn't commonplace in Hollywood. So um, seeing, watching yesterday, I just, oh wow, like none of these actors are like that you would think are, are Asian actors. They're not Asian actors. So that, that kind of bothered me me as well Goro you guys have your issues with Goro as far as like his face my biggest issue back in 1995 as well as now 
is if you look at his torso, oh, yeah. like it's so unproportional to his legs. And if you look at it, it's just like, who made that decision? It looks so bad and it just sticks out more than anything. So, so you weren't feeling the physique? <laughs> I was not feeling the physique. I could get over the face, everything else, but every time I see Gora, I was just like, he has the longest. <laughs> Like midsection. It's just, like they <laughs> took one person and then stacked another person yeah. on top of him. Some of the dialogue is very cheesy. There's one dialogue where Sonia and Johnny Cage are talking and they're having a romantic moment. And it was just like, they're trying to have this kind of romantic angle, but the dialogue just comes off. It's very cheesy. And then just Bridget Wilson, she just comes off as a bitch the whole movie. Like oh. she, she's always mad or something. And it just, I'm like, dude, People's lives are at risk. You're in a tournament fighting. Well, she for like- just had to teach a adult <laughs> sixth grade math. I mean, <laughs> sorry. But she just comes off as like a bitch the whole film, and then like the only time she's kind of like finally warms up to the group is like at the end, like yeah. when they save her, and then like they're walking off after they just beat Shang Tsung. She finally like warms up to the to everybody else. But for the entire film, she just comes off as a bitch. I didn't like Katana's character at all. I feel like she was underutilized. Um, obviously, Jason mentioned she's fighting Liu Kang and speaking in riddles, and it's just like, we don't see her staple weapon, her fan blade. Oh, like, yeah, I forgot about speaking that. Of, <laughs> like, speaking of her, though, I, I thought you guys were going to bring this up. Yeah. She fights Liu Kang, right? Yeah. Nothing happens in that fight. I thought it was called Mortal Kombat. Like, yeah. someone has to die. Like, why? Yeah. Why did, why did they just stop? All right, yeah. go ahead. I mean, and, I don't, and, and, and am I, did I miss something? Yeah, and that's the thing as well. Is one of my treasures, I, I will add, is that I did like how they kind of stuck to the premise that the movie's about a tournament, yeah. which is what the game's about. It's about yeah. a tournament. You have to win a tournament. The trash to that is that I wish they gave a little more structure to the tournament, you know, and actually shown like other ancillary characters aside from the main characters fighting. You know, you've seen Bloodsport, right? Where it's a full blown tournament. They, they don't necessarily have to show everybody fighting, but they show montages. Yeah. I yeah. wish they would have done something like that to show, like, hey, here's the structure to tournament. All they did was see a bunch of humans falling down from Goro yeah. and rocks. And, and, and they showed, That's all they showed. And yeah. they showed, like, that's where the, all the Asians were. Zero, just <laughs> That's where all the Asians were. Yeah, yeah. It was just, I wish they would have get. I, I did like the tournament structure. I wish they just maybe given it some more structure or like showed like, hey, maybe at some point the characters have to fight each other, but they don't necessarily have to kill each other. Yeah. Because just like in the game, you said you can kill, the, it's Mortal Kombat, but you also, sometimes you don't kill your opponent. You can show like um, mercy or friendship or, you know, they could have done something with it. Yeah. You already touched on the guys on a, on a lot of my other trashes. My treasures... Um, I love how they highlighted each of the characters' like special moves. So like you see Johnny Cage split punch, you see him do the shadow kick before he goes into the portal. He also does the autograph signing, right? He does the yeah. autograph signing. You see Liu Kang's bicycle kick. You see Sonya Blade do her scissor kick to take down Kano. Uh, you see, which I thought was really well executed when Liu Kang shoots his fireball. It's not really a full fireball. Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's just enough of it to know that, hey, it's, that's his move. That's his special. And yeah. it kills Shang Tsung. I thought that was just well executed where it, it, it wasn't cheesy. It was, I think it was the best CGI where it was like, it was done right and it wasn't over the top. I like how they kept most of the source material from the video games. So a lot of the backstories for the characters, what they were doing, they kept it kind of accurate. And I think that was a big issue 
with some of the other uh, movies based upon video games. They started creating these outside backstories that didn't tie into what the game, so they came off as very off-putting. So for the most part, they used a lot of the, the source material to kind of keep it accurate to what, what was actually displayed in the game. So I like that. I didn't like that they used some ancillary characters like Liu Kang's brother, uh, that wasn't in the game. Yeah. Art. Uh, Art Lean. I wish they developed that character or use because they were also using some of the characters from Mortal Kombat 2. Yeah. I mean, you could even gone as far. I don't know. If, no, I don't think Mortal Kombat 3 was out yet. But Mortal Kombat 2, they could at least maybe even use some characters from that. Yeah. The action was good. Like I said, it, it, I, I think the, the the choreography for the fight scenes were all on point. Like I said, you could tell it looked like they, they didn't use stunt doubles. Like every everyone did their own stunts. Was also pretty damn good for a film in, in the nineties. You usually could tell when they they sub in you know stunt doubles or they, they don't show their faces or whatnot. But I think for the most part, it looked like you could see like hey, I think everyone's doing their own stunts. I enjoyed the film. You know, there's a lot of things looking at it now that I don't like. But for a, someone that, that's a big fan of the game uh, then and even now, I, they, they did a pretty good job with it. That's my trash and treasure. Can I bring up one more thing for yeah. Treasure? I love the song at the very end after Liu Kang kills Shang Tsung, and it ha- it's called like Orbital, I think. It's a the song where it, it's on a, a CK Y2K video. I don't know if you guys ever watched oh that. Oh my god! It's on that video when they go to Iceland. Jason pointed out that I think you said you had gone to see that band in concert, right? CKY. Yeah, I was at uh, in Vegas, yeah. and uh, we were randomly walking by the venue inside the Hard Rock, and it was they were, they were playing. I was like, "What the heck is the CKY's playing tonight?" We walked up, and it's like, "Yeah, twenty bucks." Yeah, but it's the Bam yeah. Majera. <laughs> yeah, Bam Majera's uh, brother. But the the song at the very end, they use it, and I like love that song. Like I like, I think it's like it was on the soundtrack too. Again, going back to it, but one of my treasures on that. But huh. all right, I think we're ready for uh, ticket prices, right? Oh wait, real quick though. So, you know, when Johnny Cage is uh, on the movie set and he's just like, where do you find these guys? Yeah. That's part of his fatality in Mortal Kombat 11. Oh, is so, it? like, he'll prop you up and he'll punch you a bunch of times, like, break off your jaw. This is the time you fall. Yeah, breaks off pieces of your face and he, they're just like, cut. And then he does, like, a take two and he, like, beats them up even more. And he's just like, come on, guys, where the fuck do you find these guys? <laughs> nice. And then he, then he finally, like, breaks your face apart and all that other shit. But yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I think, I think that's a direct reference to the movie, which is pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, Muggs, it's time for ticket prices. Jason, how much are you paying to watch Mortal Kombat? He's not going over $5, I guarantee it. Yeah, I think uh, I was thinking about this last night and today. And although, like, there's some nostalgia with the movie, like rewatching it last night, and I watched it again today, um, I think I'm going to have to go five bucks. Um, I like the soundtrack, and that's probably most of the $5 where it's coming from. <laughs> I don't think it would ever go zero. Even if there's no soundtrack, I think it would still go five. But it's, it's hard to go 10 on this. Um, but given other movies that I think are, are a little bit better, a 10, I don't know if I can give this a 10. The, the fighting's good in it. Of course, I loved Mortal Kombat as a kid. I never really played Street Fighter at all. Um, I always played Mortal Kombat. So, I mean, I, I, I liked this movie when I was younger. It's still okay. I would still watch it. But yeah, I, I think I have to stick with five bucks. Erica, how much are you paying? Oddly enough, as much as this is one of my favorite movies as a child, and the whole Mortal Kombat franchise will be my favorite video game, like fighting video game, I'm gonna have to agree with Jason. I'm gonna go with a five. Like it just, it didn't age very well. Like when I was little, I'd probably still pay five dollars for it just because I didn't. You know said what... your treasure was you love this movie. And you're <laughs> no, I do. No, I do love this movie. Don't get me wrong, but like Jason said, there are other movies out there that I that are better than Mortal Kombat, and I yeah. gave it a ten. And I think, like I said, I do love this movie, but I'm basing it off of like nostalgia and the soundtrack. Yeah. 
So my 33-year-old ass would not pay more than $5 for this movie. <laughs> Mugga, how much are you paying? If I could incorporate nostalgia, all that stuff, I'm going to go 10. But if yeah. I'm looking at it now, I too have to go 5. I, I just, I just I can't give it a 10 rating. There's no way. Like if it was on Amazon Prime for $10, I would have just read the Wikipedia page. Well, funny story, last night I bought it and it was two ninety nine to rent or yeah. $5.99 to buy. Oh, you bought it, bought it. No, oh. I, I wanted to and Jason's like, you should just buy it. I'm like, oh, $3, man, I don't want to do that, you know? <laughs> so I, I rented it for two ninety nine, and he texts me this morning, Hey, it's on Netflix. <laughs> so I wasted fucking three dollars. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah, it was, Did you buy you, it too? Yeah. Kerwin told me to get it off Prime. Okay, hold on, real quick. When I told you it was on Prime, uh, it was the day before it got added to Netflix. It got added to Netflix this week. I so, literally paid yeah. two. So I was upset. I wouldn't pay five ninety nine to buy it, and I paid two nine. And I'm upset that I paid two nine to rent it. So I have to give it a five dollar rating. Okay, well, Eric's gonna be pissed because Eric Don't bought tell it. Him. Don't tell him. <laughs> He'll find out during this pod when this podcast releases. Yeah, and I did think about that too when all you guys were like watching it. I was just like, because I watched it uh, like a week ago, like I said, so I had to rent it, and I was just like, fuck, if I would have just waited. Five more days, <laughs> I could have watched this shit for free. But, you know, I don't mind. I don't really mind. Um, like you said, Muggs, like, I wish I could attach nostalgia to this and give it a, a better rating, but, like, no amount of nostalgia is going to make me give it more than a five. I remember this movie being a lot better, and watching this movie for this review, it's not something that I would pay more than $5 to watch. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I think I think Street Fighter is a much more solid movie. It could be as... Ca- it can, it's hey, got a plot. It's got a plot. It could be... It can, relax. This is my time. You're next. Like... <laughs> like, I we think have to I think I think this movie has not aged as well as Street Fighter. Personally, I agree. I don't think it has aged as well Jean-Claude as Street Fighter. Street and Fighter. I think I think this is a movie where I can pick apart certain things that I like, but like the whole movie is just kind of like it's kind of throwaway, and you can even feel it. I I appreciate the amount of effort that went into it with everybody involved. Like this was a passion project for a lot of people people kind of saw this as their way into Hollywood and the production design is through the roof, all that other shit, I get it. But unfortunately, because of the constraints that they might have been facing at that time, like this movie just has not aged well, unfortunately. And it's it's a fun ride, but it's it's not a ride I'm paying more than $5 to get on. So yeah. uh, Bling, you're up. So if I had not watched this film again yesterday, I would have given it a 15. Uh, yeah. It, it's, so well, it, it, the five pillars it's got, right? Yeah. Oh, there's five now? <laughs> oh, four, four. What, what's the fifth one? <laughs> Triangle. I, I've redone the pillars, so I have to share that in the future. But um, after watching it yesterday, um, like I said, there's a lot of things I just didn't, I, you know, because it's been a few years since I've watched it, and I was just like, wow, some of this stuff had not aged well. So I will give it a 10, and my reasoning for giving it a 10 is just because as far as like a video game adaptation, I haven't seen Sonic X, so I can't base it on that. I think it's still probably the best movie adaptation of a video game that I can think of off the top We're of We're going to come back to that statement uh, in a second. Okay? So <laughs> like I said, it's one of those things like I, I can't, I'd like to say, I haven't seen Sonic and I've heard those has gotten good reviews, but everything else that's come out since in, even in the, probably the last five years has been terrible. So, um, but I still feel like I said, the soundtrack is good. And just for the time it, it was, it came out in, I think it was kind of groundbreaking yeah. for our movie adaptation of a video game. So 10 for me. What's that final ticket price? Six dollars. Oh. Bling jumped it up from five to six for this little rating. So we got six dollars that we are paying to see Mortal Kombat, which is in a sense gratitude to me because I paid five ninety nine. I saved a cent. 
last night. Hey, it's better than Elf. Actually, I'm sorry. I didn't play Final Night. I you actually paid two ninety nine. But if you wanted to buy it, you would save a cent if you did it. <laughs> I want to go back to Bling's statement about if you guys could compare this. Okay. And I would love to go back. I know our audience hasn't got our final score on Street Fighter, which we did a, a little test run. I love that movie. I think it does a better job of in capturing the whole character video game thing in that movie than this one. Am I crazy or am I just too attached to Street Fighter? I mean, what do you guys I think? I can't remember Street Fighter other than yeah. um, Bison was played by yeah, Raul Gomez. Julia. And you had Jean-Claude Van Damme's and guy. And Jean-Claude Van Damme. It wasn't yeah. the tournament aspect. It was, yeah. hey, good guys versus bad guys. Yeah. There's going to be fights. I'll have to rewatch it for sure. Yeah. Oh, we're rewatching it, and let me get back Herman, to you. We should re- we should review that one legitimately. Yeah, no, but. we should. Um, I feel like Mortal Kombat was a fan service movie. It, it really was, and yeah. I feel like with uh, Street Fighter, they took what worked from the game and they built off of what they could form a narrative around and picked strategic places that they could insert characters yeah. and give them as much relevant screen time as possible. Like you're saying, Jason, like saying fatality and saying flawless victory and doing all this other shit that's from the game. It's like, that's cool, but like, like you know, that, that doesn't make a good movie. Like mm-hmm. the overall narrative has to be solid all throughout. And I feel like Mortal Kombat is more of a fan service film and Street Fighter is less on the fan service and more on, we got to tell, tell an actual yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. I, let's get to the important question, though. Tom Cruise. If he was in this movie, what would he do? <laughs> I say he plays the guy that gets kicked off the set. That's what I think he does. <laughs> but if I, I had to pick, I'm I'm going to be the homer. I'm going to go Johnny Cage. I'm going to go yeah. Johnny Cage. I think everyone's going to say Johnny Cage. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it's not like Liu Kang. Yeah. Last Samurai. Tom. Cruise. I mean, you want to wash everyone else? Might as well make him Liu Kang. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make him. Uh, Goro. You take two Tom Cruises. One stands on the shoulders. There you go. And then he's so, so, still so, six foot one. He's still yeah. shorter than Gorilla <laughs> Moon. Holly is, Holly is, is like just cringing right now. Tall. 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 <laughs> I would know. I would go Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage to. or There's Kano. There's no other person yeah. he could play. You're going to say Sonya Blake. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, maybe. All right. So uh, in the words of Tom Cruise. Get over here. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Yeah, so uh, when Johnny Cage is done uh, doing his shoot uh, for his movie, what was that? Burp. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> that was somebody's like bubble guts. I thought that was a fart for a second. I was like, that's not me. I hope you would know if it's you. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it happens, man. I just don't know. It's like, who was that? Well, in my mind, Jax didn't make the tournament. (laughs) He didn't. He got got his soul taken. Um, Because we all look alike. Okay. (laughs) Wait, what? What did you say? What did he say? I'm not going to say it. You Kermit can say what it. What did you say? Because I said, because we all look alike, it's okay. <laughs> oh my God, no! <laughs> 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 <laughs>